Hey, when when we actually go live, you're gonna have to behave yourself, sir. <laughs> nope, that's that, that was never under contract. Smokey, get the restraints. <laughs> <laughs> gonna have to figure out what to do with this guy over here, huh, yeah. Andrew? So, who do we got today, we're Mark? Have fun. I we're here it. today. We're joined by the great Don Fry. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that Don couldn't be here today. I just say mustache imposter. That's right. We're here with Dan the B Severin. And uh, I first became aware of him when he stepped foot inside the octagon some, what, probably close to 20 years ago, 15 years ago? Uh, well, actually, uh, closer to 25 years now. Because oh we just had the 25th anniversary show, what, in uh, November or mm. December there? Yep, it was the 25th anniversary show. So, yeah, time time marches on. And uh, you were a uh, part of UFC 4, and then you participated in some other UFCs after that. When was the first time that you even became aware of uh, mixed martial arts? Because you have got that collegiate wrestling background. Well, I became aware of a friend of mine happened to watch uh, the very first uh, couple uh, UFC pay-per-views. Again, just to kind of like to uh, educate your audience, because right now, if you're thinking just in present terms, pay-per-views are very prevalent. I mean, you can watch uh, the pay-per-view off of your the comfort of your cell phone. All right. And... Uh, uh, at, at the time that uh, I, I became aware of it, I mean, uh, pay-per-views were only uh, being shown at the uh, major petro metropolitan areas, and me living out in little old Coldwater, Michigan, uh, we did not uh, have uh, pay-per-views that uh, that extended out that far, so I was oblivious to it. So a friend of mine watched the first couple, copied them on an old VHS tape, and said, hey, I think you ought to try this. I'm seeing people being soccer kicked in the face. I'm seeing teeth <laughs> flying out into the crowd. I'm thinking, you know, these are not exactly skills that I possess. But then we said, hey, look at this skinny little guy doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Of course, he's referring to Hoist Gracie. <laughs> I kept thinking, well, gosh, a guy's got to be within arm's distance in order to punch me, kick me, or, you know, knee me or something like this. I simply will stay out of range. <laughs> and after they throw it and they recoil back, I simply slide on up, clinch him or take him down and go, oh, welcome to my world. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Hoist Gracie kind of revolutionized the sport with uh, some of the, um, with jiu-jitsu. Um, were you aware of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, or were you aware of it only after he uh, he got around your throat? <laughs> well, I mean, well, again, I'll, let me, I'll, I'll set the, I'll set the record straight. I've, I've actually done this in, in a number of other interviews, stuff like that, that uh, um, I thought I was to say, sure, I tapped out that night, but I go, did I tap out because a man beat me or did I tap up because I was unwilling to do what I had to do to another man. You go back and watch that match. Even now you go back and watch this match. You'll see how long do I wait in order to throw any kind of strikes? I mean, I usually take twice down. I'm in, again, I didn't even know what a guard was. I was inside to me. It's like, I was, I just had a double leg takedown. I took him down. I got on his back. I mean, he was pinned in, in the sense of my amateur <laughs> world, but I goes, Penny yeah. doesn't exactly win here. And, uh, in this no holds barred arena, and uh, you know, I only trained for five days and a, an hour and a half a day at the El Snow's Body Slammers Gym there in Lima, Ohio. I mean, it was a, a very comedic uh, training camp I had there. So I, I didn't learn any submission uh, submission holds. I did not learn any striking as aspects. I simply just used my amateuristic skills. And so it wasn't until several minutes into this match that I'm realizing, you know what crude and primitive submission skills that I, I possessed now out of this five day training camp are not exactly working here against Hoyce. I'm thinking to myself, I think, I think I have to hit this guy. 
but I had to I had to think about it. <laughs> and I always tell people that I was more torn probably with my conscience than I ever was with an, an opponent. And even then, when I finally did throw a strike, did I throw something like dead center, like now? Did I, I mean, like now, fast forward today, take you down, Donkey Kong, and it, 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 it's on. And again, that's, that's my mindset uh, would be for, for nowadays. But but back then, you know, I, I had to go against 26 years of rules, 26 years of regulations, sportsmanlike conduct. You can't punch in, mm. in amateurs, and you're, you're disqualified and stuff like that. So even when I did finally throw the first couple strikes it was all peripheral like well well maybe that hurt a little bit i don't know let's let's try another one over on on this side but again you know the match i i lost all aspect of how long the match even went um i just know that uh we got to some point um he's got a hold on me i'm thinking "Mm, this probably looks good and i tapped right so to me it's like you know a lot of people say well that's 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 bullshit or something like that uh, I go, I go, you, you're not in my mindset. You know, there's, there's very few people that will ever understand me or who I am or what, what I'm all about. I go, but the last, ha- had I known more about what really, really was going down with that company and manipulation of that nature, oh, there'd be a, a whole different thing. But as I, as I got educated in my last, my last probably four or five six years of competition, I was planning my own um, exiting strategy because I was I was typically always giving up 20 years of age to younger opponents. When I started hitting the 30 plus year margin, I might go on when 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 I when I'm older than most of my opponents' fathers. <laughs> and and I and I even saw in my own skill set that I'm slowing down. In my mind, I'm like going, move, move, move. But by the time the, my, my wire goes from my mind to my body, my body says, okay, <laughs> that's not a good combination. So I knew that uh, I, I needed to start planning my own uh, exiting strategy. And uh, I was trying to get, uh, you know, one more big match to go on out there. And, and I made it very uh, clear that uh, I really was looking for three different opponents. And the three op- opponents and, and right in, uh, in line would have been a Mark Coleman, a Ken Shamrock, and a Hoyce Gracie. If I could have had those be my last few matches, that would have been been it. Um, Mark has had a lot of uh, some health issues and stuff like that. They had to have some surgeries and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's uh, I've made peace with him, and and we went on. But uh, I still had two other viable candidates between you know both Ken and Hoyce. So I really pursued them, and and uh, it just not did not materialize. Yeah, it would be nice to get uh, a rematch against uh, Hoyce Gracie, huh? That would have been that would have been good. You know, you you um you you spent many many years in uh, amateur wrestling, and then you also uh, were in in professional wrestling. And um, you know, some like I remember when uh, Kurt Angle he started getting involved in uh, professional wrestling, and a lot of a lot of people were like, "This is kind of bullshit." Like, why why is this guy who's got this great amateur career doing this phony wrestling, you know? And no, don't, so don't say, yeah, we got to throw bigger, bigger errors on that are wrestling. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's so, amateur wrestling and there's professional wrestling. Yeah. So did you ever feel that you were, uh, you know, like, I don't know, turn your back on some of your hardcore, uh, re- wrestling, um, friends and, and, uh, and, and buddies and stuff that were in the sport. I did take some heat from, some, some, uh, from actually from a number of my buddies cause they, they know me and I kept thinking, <laughs> 
I'm not doing, this is not professional wrestling. This is professional wrestling. I go, you got to understand the difference here right now. I go, one is a legitimate sport. The other one is actually just a legitimate sports entertainment product. I go, there is a script. There's, there's Vince McMahon himself is the, is, is the person who exposed the business so that he did not have to go underneath the scrutiny of all of these state athletic commissions. Because right. at that point in time, that them trying to say that it was all legit. You know, now they have to go through these uh, state athletic commissions. There has to be blood testers, have to be all these kind of things that are taking place. And it was costing Vince a lot of money. So basically by him saying that, hey, it's a sports entertainment product. Now we bypass the athletic commissions because most states don't have athletic commissions that regulate professional wrestling. Right. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. What was your experience like in professional wrestling? Did you like it a lot? I mean, I enjoy it for what it is. I mean, it's for anything can and will happen. <laughs> I mean, but you see some of the most unique technique. I mean, it's like the punch. It's not like you see it's real place. They just throw it out here. In professional wrestling, it's the wind up and delivery system or the wind up like this. <laughs> right, right. The back up Dusty and delivery. Roads. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it's, it's, I actually, uh, I enjoyed professional wrestling for the, bigger than life characters that get out there that you know, the flamboyant uh coloration you got like the rick flares going out there whoo and things this right. nature but then you got you know macho man randy savage with ooh yeah snap into a slim gym i mean just i like those bigger than life characters it was fun for you then oh it was i mean right. i you know it was easy to differentiate who is the bad guy, the heel? Who is the good guy, the baby face? You know, <laughs> it's like, will good prevail over evil or will evil prevail over good? <laughs> and who's going to interfere from the outside? Because there's so many different ways to win. And there's so many other ways to lose because you may win, but then someone runs out to the curtain and attacks <laughs> you. And all of a sudden, you know, you got this bad guy tag team and uh, another good guy runs out there to run off the other people with the chairs or like this. And now you got, you go from being in, involved in singles matches to now tag team matches. I and, think, uh, UFC could use some of this, you know, I do believe it's already there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It kind of has been the uh, last couple of years, uh, people calling each other out after the yeah. matches and stuff like that. Well, but it, it could be done in a little bit more tasteful way. I actually yeah. think there's a lot of MMA guys and I actually have offered this up even at my own train facility to bring in. I have the only training facility I, I'm aware of that underneath the, the same roof. I have amateur wrestlers, professional wrestlers, and cage fighters. And they appreciate and respect each other because they see how hard each other has to work. And, and I, I, I bring in a lot of MMA guys that go, a fighter is a dime a dozen. What's going to really differentiate you than anybody else is charisma. You got you to gotta set yourself apart. There's so many of these guys, it's, it's like they went to the F-bomb school and that's all they knew how to do is go F-bomb, 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 F-bomb. Now like that, you know. Can't use that even. To yeah. me, I, I'd almost like to say, oh, uh, this, this is called a book and this is an encyclopedia. There's a few other words that you can use other than just the F-bomb to get your point <laughs> across. And I go, I go, expand your horizon. I, I think uh, even when I was with professional wrestling, like the biggest company I'm, I'm working for WWF at the time, you know, the course of a, of a professional wrestling career, you, they're, they're going to recycle you from a, uh, a good guy, the baby face to the heel, the bad guy. I was kind of looked upon as a, as a baby face, just a no nonsense. I kind of had this, you know, I intimidated a lot of people with just my, my sheer appearance. And, um, I just, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't wear no colorful outfits. I wore the same 
outfit that I wore inside the Ultimate Fighting Championships when I, when I did that. And I kept thinking, okay, they want me to be a heel now. So I came up with some ideas of what I could live with. I wanted to wear, I wanted to wear a suit and tie. <laughs> and I wanted to pull out the old easel. And I want to say, here is you, the common person. It just shows shows you a little house, <laughs> a little car. And I go, you drive to work, show the little factory page. So it is, I'll flip, flip all these pages. And you work hard, put in your eight or ten dollars a day so that you can buy tickets to come and watch me perform. And, it's just, and, then, and, then, and then see the, the big house and the limousine and stuff like this to where people are going to kind of hate you because you're rubbing their nose in reality. And I, I could I can live with that one because... I am a real reality-based type individual. So I go, I have no future in politics because if you want me to know my opinion, I may say sometimes, well, Mark, uh, you know, may, maybe I should just uh, plead the fifth on that one <laughs> you know, because you just realize it probably wasn't going to be a positive response. Some people need to have their face rubbed in some poop every now and then because <laughs> that's, that's their wake-up call. That, yeah, to get them, get them yeah, fired. Yeah, and I, I could have lived with that character, but now this creative team is pitching this, well, we'd like to put 666 across your forehead. <laughs> Like, mark, huh? mark of the beast and want to make you an undertaker's disciple. And as they're telling this to me, I'm like, hold up my hands. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> I live in small town, USA. I'm not going to have any repercussions <laughs> against my family, right. nor against my businesses, nor against me, because you don't, you don't understand how many people actually believe in this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're going to take it way too far. They're going to be like, yeah. why'd you sign up with the undertaker? Exactly. You know, I love the, uh, I love the, what the attire that you had come into the ring. You're always all sweaty. Your, uh, shirt was all, you had like that sweatshirt on and just in the, uh, black tights, keeping it simple. Well, I get it. It worked, it worked for black and white television. You know, it really showed up quite well, but, but, but no, I, it just, to me, the gray sweaty t-shirt was symbolic. When you go to you go to any university and you go to the athletic department, they will issue you your set of grades. And I used to grade my workouts by how many shirts I would soak through. And there of course, so my standard was two. I'd soak through two, two shirts. And a really good day, three. And I'm not talking with, with just a little ring here or there, something like this. I'm talking about something to stop what you throw it there. So it sounds like it just came out of the washing machine or something like that. So, and, and for me, you know, during my amateur wrestling career to lose between seven and 10 pounds in a workout was standard. And that's while drinking through practice, I'm still going to lose seven to 10 pounds because uh, you know, the, the, most of these rooms are like 90 some degrees and you're going to be working out for the next two, two and a half hours. So yeah, that's uh, that was symbolic of, uh, I'm going to, my results are going to be by the sweat of my brow. Wrestling takes a, an insane amount of, uh, discipline. And, um, you know, where did some of this discipline come from? You know, is, is early upbringing or you just always kind of had a drive from the time you were really young? No, I probably being a kid, I like any other kids who just wants to watch just cartoons and not do anything, but, uh, being, uh, you know, growing up on a farm and having responsibilities early on towards kind of like, uh, you know, you name the animals, we raised them on our farm and you learn real quickly that you don't give them names. Because sooner or later they're going to end up on your plate, you know. <laughs> and so we, you, know, you, you, we had rabbits, chickens, pigs, goats, uh, uh, lambs, um, cattle, and uh, yeah. One of my uh, jobs for I think six, seven years there was milking Peggy, the family milk cow. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, that was one of my chores was milking the cow. But then you know, doing other stuff like you know, 
going in and getting water for the the cattle or getting uh, water for the pigs, things of that nature. And uh, like I said, just going up there, those responsibilities of knowing that you have to get up by a certain time in the morning. You've got to go out there and get them things, get those chores done before you you get ready uh, and get your own breakfast, stuff like this done before you have to take the, the half mile walk up to uh, the bus stop. So, you know, those responsibilities were there for in the morning, but then you got to feed those animals again at night. It's not a normal school day to where you just go to school and come back because now what season are you in? Are you in your football season? Are you in your uh, wrestling season? Are you in your, your track season? Was it a home game versus an away game? So may I may not be getting back till say, 10, 11 o'clock at night. I still have to go out there and milk Peggy the milk cow. <laughs> I still have to go out there and, and feed animals and then give uh, uh, the animals their water, stuff like that. So you, you learn real quick, I have to do this. I can't just say, I'll catch it tomorrow. Not going to happen. Uh, was a lot of that kind of led by like your dad and your siblings, like you saw them kind of going out and doing it. And so you just kind of went along and everybody was doing it or, you know, was your dad like, you better get your ass out there kind of thing. Or well, how, how, I'd say like? my, my, my dad was, 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 uh, an author, an authoritarian to where I knew the theories of threes. <laughs> we would, uh, he will ask you, he will ask you. He will come down upon you. Don't ever let it get to the third time of asking there right now. Otherwise there are going to be repercussions, which that theory really would do a lot of good in today's society because there's, <laughs> there's no repercussions for most people, what they say or what they do. And that's, uh, we'll leave that away, but it worked well for my, my brothers, my sisters and I growing on, on up. I mean, it was, uh, uh, you know, my, my, like I said, my father would, would yell up, up the steps, Hey, Dave, Dan, that my old brother's name is Dave. I mean, it, you know, the responsibilities came upon us really quick. And the fact that, uh, you know, being on a 120 acre farm, my father, my father was not a farmer by trade. He worked in the automotive industry and, uh, you know, he would be known as a hobby farmer. Cause you know, if you want to make any real money in farming, you have to have several hundred acres and uh, you have to have the big rigs and stuff like that. So the farming was kind of, uh, for, for the family. Almost. Yeah. Basically for family is my, my father, basically he was the baby of his 12 uh, brothers and sisters. So he was a baby in his words. Uh, he was probably the last twinkle in his father's eyes. So, <laughs> right. so, uh, um, yeah, my father basically, uh, uh, uh purchased the, uh, the farm, uh, from my, my grandparents. And, uh, like I said, we just, you know, growing up, it's like, like a Tom Sawyer type of, uh, childhood right there. I mean, cause it's, uh, we had, now it's 120 acres, but there's so many of, of, of this acreage is all in the forest. And there's a couple of creeks that are going through the place. So fishing and hunting, and I didn't even know you, you needed a license, uh, when you go out there. Cause we, you know, we were hunting with guns up at a very early age and shooting rabbits, things of nature and, you know, anything else that we wanted to go after game wise. So, uh, it's like I've eaten almost every type of animal that there's possible. And, and this, uh, you know, just growing up on that, it was just it was great, it just a great childhood. Uh, I mean, you automatically learn that, you, that like everything that you have, everything that you get, you have to go get, you have to physically, it's, it's, uh, you have to work hard. going to be it, labor. You got to go, right? go yeah. for it. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, like, the garden, we never had like a little, a little 10 by 10 garden. It was like, you know, we're planting half an acre of sweet corn. We're planting, you know, uh, one of our uh, things that took, and this was my, my older brother and I idea there, we're going to make, uh, we're going to get rich by making, uh, by growing pickles, <laughs> growing cucumbers. And so we had basically about an acre of cucumbers 
And here, like the first time we're, we're, we're picking all these cucumbers, what people don't realize is picking cucumbers, cucumbers actually has, has a has a sharp barb all over the body of this to where we'd have our, our thumb duct tape <laughs> and our finger duct tape so that you could, each time you grab that cucumber, you should be just break it off, break it off, and you keep on going. There's no easy money. Oh, and, and, then, and now we got all these big bushel baskets of these big cucumbers and we go to the, the local Aunt James Pickle Factory. They don't want those big old cucumbers. They want these little skinny things, <laughs> but the size of your pinky, known as sweet gherkins. <laughs> you know how many sweet gherkins you have to pick in order to get a bushel basket? A uh, shitload. <laughs> yeah, so we learned real quick, this this was not a good good investment. But we actually still made money and bought a couple motorcycles. And you grew up in Michigan, is that right? Yeah, grew up, yeah, born and raised in Michigan, and uh, then... Uh, uh, lived in uh, Arizona for a decade of, of my life because I, I was recruited by Arizona State University. Uh, so I went there to wrestle. So I was involved for the first five years as a student athlete. And then the second five years as a sister wrestling coach to Bobby Douglas. And then job opportunity came up uh, at Michigan State. And then I took uh, the job there at Michigan State and the Michigan Wrestling Club. But I've been teaching you know, kind of timetables. I started my, my amateur wrestling career in 1969, seventh grade. And then by my uh, my freshman, sophomore year, and at school, I started actually teaching wrestling in 1971, 1981. I graduated out of college, so I always, and I got to teach my, my sheepskin at that point in time that, hey, you are a teacher, stuff like that. And I just kind of smiled when I got my certificate of thinking, I've already been doing this for a decade already. But that's, that is my skill set. And that's the thing that even fast forward to today, I travel around and I still do a lot of instructional type of seminars. I do a lot of things with first responders, like anything from law enforcement, corrections, air marshal, border patrol, military. And just because I understand the body mechanics and realizing that, you know, it changes up a great deal if I'm just wearing a pair of trunks out there versus now I've got all this gear on and mm -hmm. I've got guns and tasers and, you know, or a rut sack on my back. I'm like a tourist. So I actually, I put the gear right on, right on with them. And if there's a better widget to be made, that is my skill set. I'll make that widget for you. A lot of people end up with, um, a lot of people that end up with high levels of success, uh, like you've had in, in both MMA and, and collegiate wrestling. A lot of people have setbacks. Did you have some setbacks early on? Some things that, uh, that just made you kind of dive all into this or, or do you just dive into everything just regardless? Well, no, I, I, I say that, um, I've, I've always, I've always had goals set for my life to where I don't just let life, life happen to me. I, I've always been very meticulous about setting goals for myself, knowing that while I reach all of my goals, no. Hopefully I, I come somewhat close for them, but, uh, as the saying goes, I mean, life happens and every now and then you hit a dead end road or a couple of U-turns and things of that nature. So we wouldn't be here talking like right now. Um, the only reason that, uh, you know about me, Mark is, is through either my MMA career or to my professional wrestling career. Now you being involved in amateur wrestling, but might, might know me a little bit, maybe, uh, from, from the amateur wrestling, but I'm. <clears throat> older and stuff like that than, than what you are, so probably not. It's only because uh, I, I, you know, my one of my goals was I was going to retire in 1984. I was going to retire as the Olympic gold medalist, but instead of being the Olympic gold medalist, I was the Olympic alternate, and I had to sit up in the stands and watch the man ahead of me, Lou Bannock, win the gold medal without giving up a single point. Mm. Everyone that he wrestled, I had pinned in underneath one minute. <laughs> So it was going to be an easy gold medal for me to, to have won, but then even even at the heavyweight weight class, Bruce Baumgartner was the heavyweight gold medalist. Everyone that he wrestled, 
I had pinned that underneath one minute, so I could have wanted that two different weight classes. So I'll say that because of this injustice, I had to perform my own human exorcism. A lot of people were impressed with what I did starting in that, that 1984 <clears throat> period and on in, did the, that, uh... in the UFC. But uh, if they really <clears throat> wanted to see a real monster, they should have seen me from 1984 to 1986 because I ended several people's careers because I was never going to let it be close in my wrestle matches ever again that that politics could ever prevail. So people's shoulders, people's knees, you know, all legal moves, just right. knowing that the body parameters only bend so far. <laughs> Did that hurt to have to watch it well, from it the stands? Them. It hurt. No, well. I mean, to, <laughs> to, to, to watch it from the stands, you know, did that, did oh, that no, experience, it, it, like, oh, it did just light a fire underneath. Yeah. It? Yes, it did. Like I said, it, I had to, I, I had issues <laughs> and I had to perform my, my own exorcism at the expense of other people's expense. Did you start training harder and stuff or, or you know, well, how did you no, apply it, yourself it, it differently? Didn't, it, didn't, it did not have anything to do with, uh, my training things of nature, just, uh, you know, just, just some politics that prevailed mm. and there's nothing that's, uh, that's why I, I, I hate politics even to this day forward. It's not, is it always in the best interest? No. It's how good of a politician are you? Right. And it's, uh, you know, it's, I'm not a good politician. I, I, I'm, I'm a straight shooter on things and that's where I, I stay, I stay incredibly busy with all the things I did that I do, but then I tend to under promise and over deliver where most people over promise and they under deliver. And it's like, as a general consensus, anyone that really knows me knows that I think people suck because <laughs> whatever they say, dilute it with about nine parts of water. You might be close to the, tr the truth now. And I hate to say that like they'd be negative towards people, but that's how I deal with most people anymore. Cause I, and, and it's get, getting worse with the younger generations. They're just, it's not that their meat word means less and less. It's hard to know who to trust because there's just so many people, so many more people have, have come to the surface because of social media. You know, yes. you probably wouldn't have been aware of someone three States over, or, you know, you wouldn't Correct. be aware of somebody in Las Vegas, you know, if you lived here in California and, and vice versa. And so I think that that has maybe, uh, amplified, amplified some things. What are some things that happen today that maybe are, that are going on today that maybe kind of scare you like, uh, to cell phones and things like that. Like a lot of, a lot of kids spend a lot of time on their cell phones. A lot of kids spend a lot of time on social media. I know that you work with a lot of kids, uh, with wrestling and stuff. What are some things that kind of maybe, uh, bother you that you think, uh, maybe people should be, uh, looking to change or, or trying to improve upon? Well, again, so some <laughs> things it's, it's, uh, well, for example, w walk to the mall. I mean, not walk, go, go to the mall. On any, any given day, and just stand out in the courtyard someplace, and do a quick three sixty. Find the person that doesn't have a cell phone in their hand. Younger kids right now, it's in their hand so much you almost have to use a putty knife <laughs> to pry it loose. It's throwing roots right, right into them uh, because they're just so dependent. Now I, I see this all the time. I'm. I'm of people that I, I see that there was like, it's always in their self, their, their hand. And even I, I look at the cell phone as only, it, it's a tool, but then I also look at the social media outlets. It's just a tool for me for either acquiring work or, uh, helping others to find me that are looking for certain things that they have goals and aspirations. So I, I look at these only as tools. 
any of the people that I really am that are involved in my life, I'm in contact with them in some type of uh, form and not being posted to the Facebook. I, I, I when people are, it, it even, it just boggles my mind when they will be airing their laundry in a social media format. I'm like going, does anyone really care? No. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know who you are or in the nature, but yet they're just, Sharing things that should not be shared in public whatsoever. So I only let people, it's kind of like even you and here and, and me, we're talking right now. If you were to ask me something that, 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 uh, I, I don't think that, uh, uh, I, I want to ask, well, I'm not going to answer. I would just simply say, let's move on to the next subject, right. but I'll do it in a nice way. And, I'm still a big believer in the golden rule. Treat each, everybody else, the same way you want to be treated. And then, and, uh, and they're just, whew, like I said, it just, I'll, I'll keep with that rule, but there's a lot of people that they just don't understand certain basic elements of human survival and just being nice. What do you maybe think is the actual problem with social media or with the phone? Because <clears throat> while maybe you're not paying attention to people in the room, you are perhaps paying attention to other people, no. period. So what the, do you think the fundamental maybe issue might be? Discipline. Started at a young age. The, no, parents don't discipline anymore. Oh, let's do a timeout. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, that really hurt me. A timeout. Ooh, oh, it took my toilet. Ooh. Now there's. I'm not saying that you have to beat your child within an inch of life, but if you keep saying, warning, warning, and there's no repercussions, you failed as a parent. You, 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 you again. You have to follow through with something. And that's where I learned this straight from my father. <laughs> the theories of threes. <laughs> I ask you, I ask you, I come down upon you. Strike three, you're out. Not I'm a baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's, my kids know there's repercussions. Even my, my one son, he was well beyond the age of, you know, give him a swat on the hind end or something like that. And again, I'm not, not going to be doing brutally something like this, but there, there would have been a follow through or something like that. He's at the age where he's, he's, uh, he's driving and stuff like that right now. And now he's getting, he's getting a little lippy and stuff like this, stuff like that. I'm thinking, uh, he, I see him drive on in. I wave him right on up to me and uh, he pulls on the window and I go, what's up? You know, you know, still give me attitude stuff like that. I go, I need, I need you to park my car <laughs> out by my facility. I also need you to get all of your stuff out of my car. <laughs> the car I've been allowing you to drive, the privilege of driving. <laughs> I need you to get all of your stuff out of my car. You need to call your buddies to pick you up and to drop you off. And then I go, because these are the privileges I have allowed you in my car. So he's doing all this. And then as he's walking by and, he, and he's, he's grumbling stuff like this, and I let him get a little ways away. I go, oh, oh, son, I also need you to give me my cell phone. It's his, uh, no, I pay for that. So it's not yours. You're not paying for it. I need you to give me that cell phone as well. So I took away his wheels. I took away his cell phone. I just turned it off because I, I could care less what was going to be on there. So being a couple of days without wheels <clears throat> and communication, how many of these young people 
will know how to communicate or survive. And those are so minute. Right. But it would crush most of these young people today not to have that cell phone. And even uh, like my youngest son was, was, was born you know, seven years kind of after, after the fact uh, of, of we thought we were, were done with the first four. <laughs> so he, he comes along, he comes along and uh, he wants a cell phone at a younger age. I go, son, I go, you don't need a cell phone. You're dropped off and you're picked up. You don't need a cell phone. Once you become mobile, oh, I'm going to want to know where you're at. That's when you need a cell phone. And I go, that cell phone has a GPS onto it. So <laughs> you best be honest with me. I go, I, I go, the one thing I can handle is I, I can't handle a lie. I said, I may not like what you tell me, <laughs> right. but I can handle that. But if I had to come back and, and that one, well, now we're going to have a real issue with that. So again, that's young people in general. It's, it's, there's no repercussions. There's no discipline, but I'll take that as a broad aspect, not just for our kids, but adults as well. When you look at, the, the squabbling that's taking place in the news almost all the time, you got adults that are worse acting than children. Mm. Once again, they need more than a good <clears throat> at a timeout. Well, it's not only <laughs> They should be going to the Ed Severance <laughs> School of Discipline right now. That's yeah. what they'd be doing right there. Right. It's not only kids and it's not only the next generation that's probably on the phone too much. <clears throat> and it's not, uh, you know, it's not just... Uh, younger people that are, that are on social media too much. It's, it's all of us, I think are guilty of it. And if I say, Andrew, you're on your damn phone too much. What's your response? Uh, it's cause I'm working. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> I'm working or everyone has their own excuse. Like yeah. my daughter might be like, I might say, Hey, you know, I don't want you on social media or something. <clears throat> She'll be like, I'm playing a video game. Like there's always some excuse to it, but I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. I do think that, you know, we've had a lot of people on this podcast over the years and one of the things that I found really, really, uh, just an awesome message was from, uh, uh, we had, uh, Tony Seminette on the podcast, uh, real world tactical. He deals with these tactical situations in life that no one wants to deal with these, um, you know, school shootings and these different things and tries to prep people for, uh, these hellacious things that can happen in our world today. And, uh, you know, what he said is like, it comes down to parenting. You know, it's like, Hey, how do we solve this problem? We get more guns in the street or we do this or we do that. And he's like, you know, it comes down to like people being good parents. And sometimes the best way that you can be a parent is to say, I love you, but I hate your actions. These actions are exactly. not, they're, they're not tolerated this, in this house. This is not a, this is not a discussion. This is not uh, open for some sort of debate. These are the rules that we have. Mm -hmm. We've got certain rules for certain reasons and who even cares on why we have them, but we, <laughs> we have these rules. They're in place. They need to be followed. And if you can't follow them, then uh, we'll have to figure out a, you know, a way to go our separate ways as you get older or something like that. But I, I agree 100% that you do have to, you got to kind of crack the whip, you know, and whatever that means for you as a, as a person, I think that is the greatest way that you can show someone that you love them is to give them some discipline and give them some real insight. I think what you're doing, taking away the phone and taking away the car yeah, he's going to be like, my dad's a dick, man. He's telling yeah, yep. his buddies, oh, man, my, you don't understand. My dad's a jerk. And and all his buddies know who you are, too. So I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure like, yeah, it's got to be rough having uh, Dan Severn <laughs> as, your, as your old man. But, you know, I, I think that, that that's important. You know, it's an important message. Well, I, on that note, though, it would be kind of ironic there because I, I always, I protect my kids and the fact that they, they really did not, they didn't know what I did. They, 
found out through their friends. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's, for example, like when my oldest son was in third grade, um, a couple of uh, his friends happened to bring in a professional magazine and a group of uh, young boys were all, all standing around there and they're flipping open the pages. And I was thinking to this one page and my son just points to it and goes, that's my dad. <laughs> And the teacher's right there, and he's going, sure, 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 Michael, that, 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 that's your father. Well, show and tell was a couple of weeks later, and my son brought me in as show and tell. And the, the teacher told me, he goes, oh, I, your son said he was you, but I, I didn't think it was. And I go, well, didn't the last name kind of clue you in this a little right. bit there? But, you know, I've, I've done a lot of things in there, but I wanted, they just simply knew that dad went off to work. I'm like a traveling salesman. So I would go off, and, and uh, I, well, even in my very first MMA match ever i did not tell a single family member i even told my wife oh, i'm gonna go off and wrestle this weekend because based on my skill set i really wasn't telling why based <laughs> on my skill set that's really all i was gonna off, go off and do so it's kind of like that gray area of lying okay so i go off and uh and lo and behold two of my uncles happened to catch ufc four and they're watching this and my one of my uncles calls over to my parents' home. My dad's name's Marv, Marvin, and my my uh, uncle's like, Marv, he goes, do you, do you know you know your, your boy's at? And first off, I have four of the brothers. I go, I go well, which one? He goes, well, well Danny. And uh, well, my dad's like, well, isn't he down in cold water? And my dad's like, I mean, my uncle's like, no, he's about to climb this cage and he's about to do this. And my dad's like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> and so uh, all I know is that after each match, uh, my uncles would call back and say, okay, he, uh, he, he won. He's okay. Okay. He lost, but he's still okay. Well, I, I get home and I have a message to call your father. <laughs> so I call my dad. And You're probably he, more nervous yeah, for that than well, any fight you've ever been in, I bet, right? <laughs> well, not that it's on phone. If I had a seen in person, I would have been a whole lot more nervous. But <laughs> this is long distance. It's a little bit harder to reach out and touch someone. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh. You know, it, it, it was just kind of cool because here he is, he's bitching me out for making him nervous <laughs> and I'm 37 years of age. So it just goes to show that it don't matter how big and bad you are. You're still mama's little boy or daddy's little boy is how <laughs> they look upon you. So that was, it was actually, you know, very, uh, very much a term of endearment. Were, uh, your parents supportive of your, uh, of your wrestling? Uh, when, you know, well, you're the, doing the amateur wrestling yeah. stuff. I mean, yeah. everything I did in high school and that, that, that was, uh, uh, Parents liked the fact that we were, we were just engaged in Active, things, yes. yeah. instead of just you know, being bumps along. But I mean, I, I didn't, we didn't think about that kind of stuff. We didn't think that way back in that time period. You know, we were always involved in something and it was kind of tough because, uh, even my, my father made a comment that, uh, you know, eight children. So, so there would be, wow. th there might be a, a basketball game happening inside the gymnasium. There might be a football game happening out in, in, the, the football, uh, uh field, he, my, my father said he spent more time in the parking lot because walking between the, the high school gym and the football field, the, the, the parking <laughs> lot saw more of him than, than either one going back and forth. You know, and, and it was tough on him because the fact that they're, they're working automotive industry on top of that. Because mm. I, you know, when you, when you fast forward to when you now have your own family, stuff like that, and you keep wondering, gosh, how did my dad do it with eight kids? feeding, clothing, and the whole nine yards. How did he do that with K-8? And then you realize, you know, because you're just trying to do it with much less numbers than what, what he had to do with this. Like right. going, how did they do it without going crazy? <laughs> well, he did it the way you're doing it, probably just by working all the time, you well, know, by just staying busy, just working and working, 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 working some more, right? 
Yeah, well, only way to get it done. That's uh-huh. that's how I look at it. That uh, you know, I, I live a very rigid lifestyle, and I mean, I'm I'm very disciplined. You know, but even to point that, yeah, if if I get six to seven hours of sleep, I mean, six is what I hope for. Yeah, and but if and, and that's what I do do on average, and but uh, if I if I get that day that I, I can lounge around a little bit, or that they're few and far in between, but I enjoy a day it like that. Good, of, right? of knowing that uh, I am a couch potato. <laughs> I think this is your first ever uh, UFC fight that we're uh, that we put oh, up yeah. here on uh, up. on YouTube. Um, this looks like an unfair fight. You're fighting a guy <laughs> who's pretty darn skinny over there. What's going on here? There's no weight classes back then. Yeah, but look at who, look at who I've got in the corner. I got El Snow in my corner <laughs> right now. Professional wrestling extraordinaire from Lime, Ohio. Body Slammers Gym. El Snow. Big John McCarthy. Big John McCarthy. Not not nearly as jacked as he is nowadays. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well uh, which one are you talking about right now? <laughs> What's that? Uh, McCarthy. Oh, McCarthy. Yeah, he's, he's uh, well, I don't know if he's if he's big anymore, but he used to be really big for a while. Yeah, I mean, Ellis <laughs> was extremely big. Now, this was, all I knew is that I'm going to go to a Muay Thai guy, so I'm looking for these, uh, watch how many Shit, elbows. man, you are watch, quick. Yeah, but watch how many elbows I'm taking here in a shot. He, uh, this is Anthony Macias. He hit me with a lot of elbows. Now, what I, I tried to do there was was a, a belly-to-belly throw. But because he had baby oil on ah. him, on him mm-hmm. my arm slipped from around his waist all the way up to his armpits oh. in the process. Are those, uh, you know, he, he's a lighter guy, but I mean, are those pretty good elbows he's getting you with? Or, or yeah. is not affecting you much? Well. <laughs> it's ragged on him. <laughs> uh, because I'm, I'm in the adrenaline dump. Yeah, yeah, right. That uh, at this point. He knows he's in well, a lot no, of no, trouble. No, 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 And we, uh, after the second, after the second soup, suple, it was what is known, professionally known as a German yeah. suplex. Um, he shake, he shakes his head, but I'm seeing, I'm seeing, blood is hitting the mat, drip, mm. drip, drip. But I don't know, is it him or is it me? Because I ate so many, uh, ate so many elbows in the process. Am I just to be running on pure adrenaline at this point? I'm, I'm not going to know if my head split wide open. What turns out, as I watched it after, watched the, the replays afterwards, he folded up so much that it was his own knee that struck himself uh, in that forehead. He split his own forehead oh, open wow. in the process. So I, when I From thought, that suplex, yeah. huh? So I used to say that, yeah, this was my very first uh, match ever. One of the things. And I made quite the impression <laughs> upon it. One of, the thi- one of the things I remember, and, and I think that, man, I think, that, I don't want to say that I think that you got scrutinized more than anybody else. The announcers <laughs> were, the announcers were always on you. And I remember like it was one fight that you did against, uh, I think it was chemo and, uh, you guys are going back and forth. And I think boss Rutten's one of the commentators <laughs> and those guys are just, they're ripping, ripping you guys apart. They're like, man, these guys are not very skilled when it comes to MMA. And they're talking about your wrestling background and stuff like that. <laughs> but I, I, I was well, just, I was just watching it the other day again. Cause I was like, I remember like people used to always rip on them, but you didn't have a, a, a vast, uh, striking, uh, ability, right? Walk, walking into, okay, this, this was USC four. Right. I always tell people that I only. I, I had a training camp that lasted for four days. <laughs> a four, find someone else in the world that could do a four-day training camp for an hour and a half a day. I drove I drove basically about a two-hour drive to Lima, Ohio, and the training was all done inside of a professional wrestling ring. But you can realize at that time there was only one cage, and it was owned by the USC. Fast forward to today, you can go to uh, almost any community, no, no matter how large or small, and you will find either a full cage or a section of the cage in there, and and that gym will say, yeah, we we work we, we work on MMA, uh, wall, wall uh, fencing skills and stuff mm-hmm. of, of that nature. 
And uh, but but at that time, that that's where it's at. So I have Al Snow and I have uh, two other professional wrestling, wrestlers wannabes, and an old pair of boxing gloves. And, and I mean, it just literally it was like slapstick comedy because after a while, because I I didn't I did not learn a single strike, I did not uh, learn a single submission. I just stood out there. Wearing my amateur wrestling shoes and and wearing a shirt and stuff like this, gray shirts at that time as well, and then and these guys would be fighting after all, throwing the gloves at each other like you go after. No, no, you no, I'm not going to you know, that they're cursing at each other. No, it's your turn and stuff like <laughs> right. that. Because all I did was, I just let them throw things and I would simply clinch them, take them down, or at, at that point either shove them up against the ropes or the the turnbuckle actions. And I would take them down. And then I would just simply slap on amateur wrestling moves, but then turn the amateur wrestling moves illegal because the rule set was only two rules, no biting, no eye gouging. So I would go to actions, and that's all I did. So the training camp was a joke. Even when I showed up to the UFC for the press conference, not the weigh-in because there was no weigh-ins. Again, that's going to educate the folks. This is back during the era that there were no weight classes. So... How'd you even get into the UFC? Like well, you, so, so I would imagine at this point you already have some, uh, you already have some fights or no? No, 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 no. I, <clears throat> I have no, no fights, just amateur. No, no, ama- no, there was no, no amateur, uh, had not taken place. There was, there was only, you had just the shock and awe of UFC one, two and three had taken place. I didn't know it even existed until I think really it was after UFC number two, but it was so, so close. You never did a no holds barred fight until you got in the UFC ring. Is that right? For me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's crazy. And then yeah. like, uh, did you just like submit some information and they're like, oh yeah, it's Dan Severn. He's got a, got a pretty good, uh, you know, wrestling background. They just said, come on in or so how did it no, work? No, no, I mean, no, there were, uh, <laughs> well, the UFC took out several ads in various magazines like karate, kung fu, uh, are some of the martial arts ads that they had. And as a full page ad, do you want to be a, um, I think it was like, do you want to be a no-hold-barred fighter? I, I filled out the application. I sent it in, but nothing, no no response was ever given back to me. So uh, I based, um, Phyllis Lee, what was her name? Um, she was a uh, professional wrestling, lady professional wrestler back in, in the day, but she kept coming, going down to Al Snow School. So mm. she saw my athletic resume. She started making phone calls to the UFC and got a hold of Art Davey. I happened to be going to Los Angeles or something like this for a professional show. So she got Art Davey to come on down to check me out and this, and, and, and to talk, talk with me. So as I'm, uh, I'm out there, I do a professional match with Hawk from Legion of Doom. I don't know if, okay, Legion of Doom, <laughs> I, I, I'm doing my match with Hawk. And then after match, I'm, I'm being introduced into Art Davey. The first words out of Art Davey's mouth is, you do realize what we do is real, don't you? <laughs> not, not to get, not to expose anything about yeah. the professional wrestling industry. I don't want no one, you know, crying on their, I don't want anyone crying on their John Cena doll or nothing like that over here. You know, so it's, uh, yeah, that was aimed at a you over there. So uh, <laughs> having some fun in this studio here right now. You might but, as well, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it's work. But uh, um, I said, well, yes, I do. And he said, well, what's your, he goes, what's your professional fight record? Well, I don't have one. Well, what's your amateur fight record? Well, I don't have one of those either. And now he's like condescending, talking down to me. He goes, what are, what is your skill set? Well, I'm an amateur wrestler. He goes, well, amateur wrestling has a lot of rules and regulations. 
and the way that he's talked to me, I, t- I can tell conversation is almost over. Right? He's trying to weed you out almost. And, right? and, and, and so I basically said, well, that is true there, Mr. Davey. There are a lot of rules and regulations. I said, obviously, you have never seen international wrestling competition for freestyle Greco-Roman. It'll be the closest thing you'll ever see to one of your UFC-style matches. He goes, what do you mean? So I reiterated him my very first international experience ever at, uh, well, I was 17 years at, at the age. I go to Istanbul, Turkey, part of a U.S. all-star team. And we're supposed to be wrestling against other juniors 18 years or younger. And my first opponent is a 35-year-old military man. This guy's been competing longer than I've been alive. And he's got this buzz haircut, all muscled up, kind of a com- combination of meanness, ugliness, and aggression all built into one. And, and, and this is early 70s. Mo, my hair is a whole lot longer at this point in time as well. So when the referee starts the match, he comes out there and he reaches up, does a collar tie, grabs back of my head, and he grabs a wad of hair. And then he goes, boom, he headbutts me, splitting my eyebrow open. And now to add insult to injury, he pulls a wad of hair out of my head and flings it on the ground. So as I'm backpedaling, my hands up, up uh, uh, against my eyebrow as, as blood is trickling down, I look at the referee thinking to myself, well, my opponent should be disqualified right now for unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> well, we're not in Kansas City anymore, Toto. We're <laughs> in his backyard. He's probably related to, my, my opponent's probably related to the referee. Referee steps between us, kicks the tough hair out of the way, and cautions me for passivity. I'm stalling. And you did, not, you did not stop matches back then for blood pathogens because it was not aware of. You actually wrestled with a handkerchief inside of your secret. So where if you had a bloody nose, bloody lip, you reach, you wipe, you shove back, you keep on going. You don't take timeouts, otherwise you're known as stalling. You get two stalling calls, then you start losing points. So I grab, I wipe, I shove back in, but now I'm motivated. So when I hit my double leg takedown, oh, it's extra hard. Boom, he hits the ground. He rolls over on, onto his belly. Technique known as a cross face, bony portion across soft facial tissue, very effective tool. Bam, I hit it as hard as I could. I break his nose, and I got blood pouring out of my arm. But then all of a sudden, I feel this pain in my arm because he is biting <laughs> into my forearm, trying to take a chunk of meat out of me. And this is where my cheese slides off my cracker. <laughs> and I wanted to kill him. And they can bury him out in the sand dunes. I don't care at this point in time. I reach on down and now I start rolling up because I'm going to shove that chunk of cartilage to the black hole of space. And they can bury his carcass out there. And as I'm here, snap, crackle, pop. And, you know, the referee, you see me, he's, he's blowing a whistle. He's trying to pull my arm out of the apparatus. So he, as we're standing up, he, the referee's penalizing me for an illegal <laughs> move. And I'm showing them the fang marks and, and my arm penalizes my opponent for uh, illegal maneuver. This is all in the first period. We got three, three minute periods to go. At the end of the first period, referee sends me back to my quarter. I'm a bloody mess. Referee sends my Turkish opponent back to his corner. He's a bloody mess. His coach is so angry at his athlete because he's losing to a weenie looking American. <laughs> Turkish coach pulls out a stick about the size, the thickness of a broom handle and proceeds to beat his athlete to motivate him. <laughs> and I go, and people say, weren't you nervous walking into the octagon? I go, no. <laughs> I can speak the language. <clears throat> and I know, know what I'm walking into. Not, not <laughs> like in, in my international, my, my international wrestling experience prepared me. Also, I've been hurt far worse. I've been hurt, hurt far worse in my amateur wrestling career. 
I've been hurt far worse in my professional career. The safest thing I've ever done in my three careers is walking and doing cage fighting. <laughs> yeah. What takes longer to recover from a pro wrestling match or a MMA? I guess it depends on how long the MMA well, match goes, it, right? It depends on, on the match, but then also depends what happens to it. Yeah, I've had, I've had a lot of matches where I swear it's like that guys look because like, Dude, your hair, you don't even need to comb your hair. You know, you, you, you just, you didn't, nothing right. happened to you in a match. But then there's other matches that look like you got pulled through a knot hole backwards. <laughs> Were you able to uh, win that fight to, or that match, that wrestling match? Yes. In, in yeah, I, I actually, I did win that match. And, and uh, uh, one of the, the fans out of the audience, actually, uh, I should have fans, but one of the spectators <clears> came out and actually gave me a medal for, because I, uh, uh, just the way that, uh, I mean, I, I was just going up against like surmountable odds and stuff like that. And, uh. I still actually have that in my trophy case. I was going to say, that's probably one of the things you're most proud of, huh? Oh, it is. It's well, those weird things that, that you're not well, expecting, right? Well, that, or, or like, you know, I, I was in Russia before and I, and I, and I, I went up against an opponent there that real guy should never have beaten, never beaten. And I, I, I uh, did an article about that, about how to beat an opponent that you should never have beaten. And it's this guy, you have to come up. That's where, when you, you've lacked the skill sets of like this. Now it comes up with the mind. You have to base, you basically have to rise up and you have to impose yourself to know everybody has a weakness. And the only weakness that the Russians were known for, and I didn't know if it was going to pertain to this guy, but they were known to phenomenal technicians, greatest technicians in, in the world. But they, their, their Achilles heel, the weakness was cardiovascular. And I simply knew that the longer I can keep this match going and the more physically active I can keep this going, if there's going to be a kink in his armor, That'll be the kink right there into where I basically, I was like, like down nine or 10 points to nothing. And, uh, before I scored my first point and then I scored my next point and now the referees are starting to get after him because he's tired and he's being slow to get back to the ring. And I'm, I'm the first guy being back there. And I, and again, I learned a lot of stuff there in amateur wrestling to how to help sway these referees to be by showing just by showing that your, that your aggression or, or your willingness or get back to the rings quicker just so that they'll, they'll be on them more. So again, that's just my interesting career or stuff like that. You know, I said, you know, the fact that my professional, uh, excuse me, my cage fight career was the safest thing I ever did. Mm -hmm. That's, that's irony there too, but I've, I've, I've enjoyed all of them just for different reasons. You know, competition is still the, that mono a mono. Now I like that. Uh, I like the risk factors and the reward factors because I, well, just that's, my cup of tea, I guess. Um, you mentioned conditioning. Obviously there's a huge physical component to it. You have to train hard and you, there's certain things you got to do in training. You got to run and really? there's, there's lots of, lots of stuff that you probably have to do or had to do that maybe not everyone loves to do. But aside from the physical side of it, do you think it's a, it's a huge mental part of it or is it the physical preparation that really gets you there? Again, I, I can always speak on, on my behalf and what I did. I mean, the, the psychological aspect I, is huge. I know from a coaching perspective, because a lot of people, they simply just look across at their opponent and they, they see he's got muscles. Well, again, the younger they are, I mean, especially if you're looking young, oh my gosh, he's got hair on his chest. You know, he's got, he's got gristly, he's got, you know, stubble on his face. Or something I remember like this. that in football, you get in your three point stance and you look up and the other guy's got like a full beard. You're like, yes. holy shit. How, yeah, exactly. I'm freaking 15 years old. What's going on with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it just all depends on the phase of life of, of where you're at. But, uh, even as an adult and compete in, in 
you know, like the mixed martial arts, you start, you start sizing up the guy at the war. It's like going, well, gosh, look, he's, he's ripped, he's shredded. And it's like going, man, you realize, well, this might be a little bit more than I, I'm, I bargained for here right now. Those those video clips I, I studied are not didn't do any justice. <laughs> uh, he's been doing some trainings at that time. But so the, the, the psychological aspect is huge. But anything you do with training and preparation, you should. Um, I would say that... Uh, I did things a little bit opposite on on that aspect because I was uh, I, I was doing so many different things simultaneously. Um, I had a mixed martial arts career. I had a professional wrestling career, and, and the way that the timetables, I began professional wrestling as of the nineteen ninety two Olympics. United States Olympic Committee came down with a new rule at that time that allowed athletes to be both amateur and professional simultaneously, as long as you weren't involved in high school athletics or collegiate athletics, because you'd still be governed by high school athletics athletic association rules or the NCA rules. I was well past my collegiate eligibility so I could have my cake and eat it too. I could still coach at a university and I could still be a professional wrestler. I could still be a cage fighter and there would be no repercussions to me whatsoever. Hmm. Andrew, you got a question over there, buddy? <laughs> well, somebody was asking what your training looked like when you were uh, in the UFC, but you're, you told us earlier that you weren't really going as hard as what people would think, right? Yeah, no, it's a, uh, I, I, I mean, I tell people, and it's kind of hard for them to phantom. I only ever did two true training camps for my cage fighting career. I only say cage fighting because uh, mixed martial arts, you know, the term of mixed martial arts did not come about until, you know, probably uh, 2003, mm-hmm. four, five, somewhere in that, in that range. And uh, so... Uh, I don't. Know, I just just didn't didn't have the, the opportunity of all the things I was doing because there, there was no real money though either in, in this. So I mean, I I made probably the most money at the time, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like you know you fast forward to t- today when you can make a million plus dollars for a match. Right. That makes makes a world of difference. And, and that's what I was going to ask you. I know it's a totally different time, but. Which organization did you make more money in, the WWE or, or I, UFC? I made more more money in professional wrestling. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of sad that right. I, I even say that, but it, it, it's it's the truth. It's uh, you know, <laughs> my very first time walking out into UFC, I signed a contract. My my guarantee to walk into that cage was one thousand dollars, <laughs> and for a thousand dollars, I signed a contract that. The only two things you couldn't do to a person was bite them or eye gouge them. And even in small print, at the bottom of that contract, it stated, in the event of your accidental death, well, gosh, don't stick a finger in your eye. Don't bite them. There's a whole lot of other ways you can take someone apart without ever violating those two rules. Because as you heard me say a little bit earlier, even as I was rolling around doing, doing when I would do some of these, these uh, a little bit of training, I'd be rolling around down on the mat and I would go through, I go through the actions without ever striking the person. I, I would go hammer strike and I I'd go up and I, but I go to touch, not found. I go hammer strike, hammer, elbow smash, back at hammer strike. And then, but they feel me moving across and they feel the touch. They just couldn't believe the control I had when I would go through these, these motions because I'm trying to do, I knew that I had no cardiovascular because I wasn't training. Mm-hmm. But I simply knew that if I could go through the motions, stuff like this, because I was doing mechanically going through the motions, but then physically going through the motions. So I'm trying to train my body to do this. And, I, and there'd be times when I'd, I'd be just driving down the road or I'd be in my hotel or something like this. 
I'm using the mental mind of training, going through this, going through this, even to the point that as I'm walking out into a cage, what's my game plan? Because I, I didn't just let things happen. I mean, yeah, things are, go- are going to happen, but I have a game plan. But how that game plan unfolded for me was the moment that that, that match started, as we moved towards each other, very rarely do they just simply just keep marching in this clash. You get so close and then people stop and they take their stance. The moment that you take your stance, I went into autopilot. Because the moment I saw that stance, I knew exactly what to do. Amateur wrestling, for example, the moment they take their stance, you move always, you circle towards the trail leg. Because you, if I go the other way, I move into the power. But in MMA, it's just the opposite. MMA, they, they do, you, you want to circle in towards the lead leg because I'd rather get hit with a jab than to get hit with that power. So there's, there's some, some things that wrestling gel was just fine, and there's other aspects I had to rewire my mind. And then to be doing MMA at the same time as doing professional wrestling, or maybe I should be saying this, it's something different by doing amateur wrestling, because uh, I'm doing amateur wrestling, because I'm still, I was still trying to make the 1994 Olympic team. On top of all this, so I'm doing amateur wrestling things. I'm doing professional wrestling things. <laughs> I'm doing mixed martial arts on top of, oh, I have a wrestling clinic here today. Oh, no, I'm going to be working with law enforcement. There'll be some days I'd be on the road for 20 some odd days as I'm waking up, I'm rubbing the sleep out of my eyes, and I'm, I'm looking around, uh, I'm in another hotel. Uh, what's my what's my function today? I, I actually have to look at my book to see uh, what am I doing today. But even when I worked for the WWF, I knew my schedule at least a month ahead of time. So I would and and I could actually I, I worked with their, their their travel coordinator so that I would simply contact them and I would fly in early. I fly in early and I'd go conduct a seminar someplace. Then I'd go and work for the WWF. And then afterwards, I'd go and do a meet and greet, an appearance, or a Q&A, or, or something else later that night. So in the same 24 hours that's gone out of my life, I'm pulling down three checks instead of one. <laughs> but the, guy, I, the guys in the locker room must have thought you were absolutely nuts in well, the WWF, right? Because uh, you, you must have been, it sounds to me like you, especially at the time, you must have been quite a bit different than a lot of the other, a lot of the other wrestlers. Well, I was... <laughs> <laughs> that's an understatement. I but, mean, these guys are, day, these guys are day to day, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, a lot of, they get involved in a lot of drugs and women and everything else. And, and here you are, you know, systematically being in all these different places, making appointments, pulling down three different checks. That's, I mean, they must've thought you were a nutcase. They, they didn't know though. <laughs> well, I mean, a, a lot, a lot of them actually, you know, because they did not know me and stuff like that, uh, they would, ne- they would have never known. Um, I, even at that point in time. I traveled by myself. I stayed by myself. Once I would actually find out where all the other wrestlers are staying. <laughs> I, I mean, at first I tried you to just book no, the opposite hotel. <laughs> I, I did, but, okay, but like, I, but I had to wait till like, I tried it the first couple of times. But after the first couple of times, I saw all the people that were down in the lobbies waiting to glob on this. If I just <laughs> kind of going, no, I don't want that. I would always try to, okay, I find out where they're at. And then I went to the opposite type place. But a lot of, a lot of the guys probably thought, well, Dan's really stuck up, or he just, you know, I, I don't understand. The guy's not friendly at all. I, I, no, they don't understand the fact that I'm, I've got a couple other jobs doing. And the fact is, I, I, I was underneath a two-year co- uh, contract, and they didn't, you know, most, most of my, the guys I'm working with, they don't know how old I am. 
they were they were even shocked when they found out how old I was stuff like that. And I'm not thinking. Did you say you're 48? I, I was 48. Yeah. Like <laughs> I said, well, in, 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 in the office here, I got Jim Ross and uh, um, Vince McMahon and a couple other people that are in the office. And, you know, the contracts are all been signed, stuff like they're up there, slapping, filled back, shaking hands, stuff like this. And through just the idle conversation was taking place, uh, some timetables were thrown up there. And then I answered right there. And then Vince is kind of like going, well, well, how old are you exactly? And I go, well, 48. And, uh, and Vince, it's like, why in the hell do we just sign a guy who's 40 years old? <laughs> well, no, uh, trust me, that's, that's one of the things I held back. But Vince turns right to Jim Ross and goes, Jim, he goes, who's our oldest rookie ever? And Jim Ross goes, Dan. <laughs> but I didn't, did not look like I was 48 years of age. I didn't move like a 48 year old guy. And you know, I, I took care of myself. I mean, it was, I, I had a crazy schedule and I'm saying I'm not, I, I'm not doing a training. I'm not doing conventional t- training, but I'm trying to train wherever I possibly can. So I would be. There'd be a lot of times, like on a on a Thursday night, I would leave Coldwater, Michigan, you know, eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, and I would drive through the night and get to New Jersey or something like that, knowing that that's about a ten-hour drive down the road. And I'd get there sometime by you know, still in in the morning hours, knowing that okay, I get checked into my hotel, I'm gonna get a couple hours of sleep, but then I'm gonna go hit the gym, and there's always gonna be some high school nearby to where there's a track. There's a field. I'm gonna go run someplace, and it was always. Uh, I'll, I'll say it. Uh, that's that's the lonely aspect because I'm doing this all by myself. I didn't have, uh, you know, there were no cheerleaders there to go. Come on, Dan, let's go, let's do this. There's no coach there to tell us like no. It's that internal self of doing things because it's that, that that was you know the because I've other people say, well, have you had do, do, do you have your as anyone in, in your your children like that had tried to follow in your footsteps? I go, I no. I did not even know all the, the word for it is called sacrifice. In order to achieve success, I think everybody is, is capable of achieving success. It's what are you willing to sacrifice along the way? Uh, just, what, just, yeah. just recently, there's been a couple of movies that have come out. One is with Clint Eastwood, the mule. Great movie. Okay. I, I loved it. <laughs> I saw this, but in the beginning, as he's... Being shown and stuff like this, I'm like going, man, can I ever relate to this character? I'm like going, it's like I'm watching myself, <laughs> you know, in, in the process. It's just, it was, it was hard. And I, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, there was a couple different movies just like that just was just recently. And I'm thinking I have lived that because I have been an absentee parent at best, even though I have a 10,000 square foot train facility on my property in Coldwater, Michigan. It's only about 50 yards from my house. <laughs> You know, I used to always did the daddy deal in the morning. I'd make the breakfast and stuff like that then. And then, but that was that, that golden, uh, maybe half hour, maybe 45 minutes I would have with them. And half the time they're just, they're asleep, they're rubbing their eyes as, as I'm whipping up pancakes or scrambled eggs or whatever mm-hmm. else. It's like dad's French toast is still, still, still pretty killer. <laughs> but, uh, um, but then they go to school. By the time they come back home from school, my classes are, are starting and by the time my last class ends at nine o'clock, I always thought that it, I, I could just turn off the light and we're done by nine oh one. No, <laughs> owning the gym stuff like this, you you you've, you've gone through the same thing. You have to talk to people about, oh, they have financial problems. They they can't pay this month. Um, they're having girlfriend problems. They're having boyfriend problems. They're having you know they're having, they're just having problems. And so, 
you are a psychiatrist. <laughs> You're a financial counselor. You're so much more than just being an instructor, stuff like this. So instead of just nine o'clock, I'm done. It'd be nine thirty. It'd be ten o'clock by the time I finally get to walk into my house, just to know that my kids are asleep. So all I do is I walk in, I check in onto them. I might, I might give them that quick little kiss on the cheek or something like this, forehead, and boom, I'm done. And uh, then come the weekends, when they're off, dad is off. Dad's off working now. He's off professional wrestling. He's off cage fighting. He's off. But even on a cage fight, I'm going in a day earlier, knocking off a seminar. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing a speaking engagement. Again, doing something else there because I'm not just there for the fight. <clears throat> I'm there picking up two and three other paychecks along the way because this is what I got to do. You have any reg regrets on that? Well, I mean, it's uh, you know, just to, well, the, the, the regrets is no. I mean, I, I can't. I can't go back. You can't go back in time. So I can't have regrets about this. It's kind of like you know, when I tell you about 1984. I can't turn back the clock of time and correct the injustice that happened to me there. Um, you simply have to, you have to move forward. So, I mean, it's, um, I'm, I probably have a better rapport with my, my children, for example, now, because as they're getting older, now they're starting to realize, how did dad do it? I'd also, you know, explain to a lot of parents that, it's, it's okay to be, it's okay to be gone. You know, like it's, you well, know, each parent's going to have their own or each, you know, family's going to go through their own thing, but, um, it, it's, you don't have to always be there for every single thing that your child does. Yeah. You know, my, my dad worked very hard when I was a kid and there was a time period where there was a couple of years and it was probably like when I was between the age of like 12 and like 15 or he was starting to work a lot. And my mom, you know, was the one who kind of slowed him down. She's like, Hey, I don't think the kids are seeing you, you know? And so mm -hmm. then he kind of, he was started to be around a little bit more. But the, the point is, is like a, a lot of people have it that way where sometimes both parents are working or sometimes they, they have a, a single parent that has to work a lot and they're just not, it's not always going to be there every single second of every single day. Right. Uh, today's, today's employee does not have a guarantee of that. I'm going to work for this one company for 30 years and I'm going to retire with the gold watch. <laughs> that company may not be in existence for 30 years. You're, you're seeing a lot more people. We have to be a very mobile society. It's even with my own children, stuff like that. As, as I tell them, I go, they've all have taken, have taken the road trip from hell with dad. <laughs> Cause I want them to realize it's not all glamorous. What dad does to know that you can let, you have to lay down, Maybe a 12-hour drive. No sleep. Again, my youngest son just got witness to a 37-hour drive. <laughs> no sleep. Driving through on, on that. And it, he just, he just, you know, wore, he's, you know, he's over in the pasture seat, you know, his head's bobbing up against the wall, the window, stuff like this. He's drooling down his chin and he's waking up because, Dad, I'm hungry. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll eat at the next gas stop, you know. And they go, you, you got to find me a truck stop that has food, gas, and bathroom all in one sweep because <laughs> we're not stopped because we have to be there by such such a time. And, they, and that's where they find out, they find that out, and they realize they can't hang with dad. <laughs> you know, uh, my I had my daughter and uh, what, what, what turned out to be my future son-in-law. I mean, as uh, they both graduated at the uh, same time, I uh, my uh, my uh, graduation present was then was that, Come on, I took him out to Arizona, I took him to the Grand Canyon and stuff like this. But for five days, I mean, I was balls to the wall <laughs> to the point that they're like, Dad, 
we need a day off. <laughs> and I'm looking at him, oh, weenies. <laughs> you know, I go, I'll do this. And I'll do a workout and teach a seminar on, on top of all of this, you know. But that's where, but I'm, I'm used to that. I'm used to that. They're just going with the role of, of those things that uh, you have to be, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, you, you better, better have other sets of skill sets. And one, one of those skill sets, uh, skill sets is communication. And that was, as I shared with you kind of off there, you asked me like, what were one of the obstacles that I had to overcome like earlier in, in my childhood? And that's like speaking in front of people. I could have, you know, I, I, I could never have gone up in front and just want to read a paper or something like this because I just, yeah, too shy. I couldn't do that kind of thing right there. So about my senior year in high school, I took a speech class. And even my freshman year in college, I took another speech class to get used to, even though I despised it. But the more and more I did it, the better I got with it. I work, I work better in the like, environment when you ask me questions. But uh, they were the comfort margin. It's hard to get me to stop talking now. <laughs> you mentioned uh, isolation. You know, do you think that you need some isolation in order to be great? Um, has that been something that's always worked, worked well for you? Cause you mentioned that like, you know, hitting the track and like, nobody wants to do that stuff, but you gotta, you know, you gotta push your brain, you gotta push your mind through it. Otherwise you're not going to get the things that you want. The isolation has been, I'll say it's been easy for me because I just, the schedule alone. Nobody else. I've had other people, uh, buddies, my like, oh, dude, he goes, when are you going to go on the road again? Well. Just come a weekend. <laughs> right. And like, well, uh, wait, when are you leaving? And uh, when are you coming back? Why? Well, oh, I'm sorry. I, I'd like to go with you, but, but I can't because of this, this or this. Right. I'm like, wow. Okay. The hardest part, I can't find another person that comes close to my schedule. Cause once I usually have a primary reason to go into an area. Once I have the primary, uh, scheduled, now I go for secondaries thirds, fourths, and fifths. Because why go into one area? It's like, here, I was at the Stockton Comic Con yesterday. And I might be in San Diego at, at another uh, person, at another dojo, uh, doing a uh, a youth grappling program. The gentleman's just trying to, he's a stand-up martial artist, and he wants to add a ground game to his thing. And he, I've known them for a number of years, and he called upon me, he goes, can you help me out? Yeah, it's only a nine-hour drive from Sacramento to San Diego. Might as well just swing on by. Only probably two cups of coffee, and I'll be there, you know? <laughs> two. But then, again, that's, that's how I look at this. Once I go into an area, if I know I, I you know, within a, a couple hours I could be at another location, well, I'll knock that on off. Because I, ha- I always tell people that I, I've got a phenomenal database built now. Uh, at one point in time, and this happened uh, probably about 12 to 15 years ago, I accidentally deleted 11,000 contacts. Oh, no. I mean, 11, over 11,000 contacts. The cloud, it's in the cloud. Yeah, Yeah, well, (laughs) the cloud did not exist then, okay? (laughs) So even now, I don't, I've had several of my buddies that really into computers, they keep trying to explain the same, the cloud to me. Yeah, and I'm like going, no, I, 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 this is the paper. It's tangible. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand this cloud. I, I understand this, uh, you know, this main <laughs> box that it all should be into, but how can it be in the cloud? You know, <laughs> right. I don't get it. Yeah. So no, neither we do we. No, we, <laughs> we have no idea. We've been I, trying I, to figure it out. I just refer to myself. I'm, I'm that dinosaur knuckle dragger type of a person right there <laughs> towards like, I'm not, uh, you know, I won't be, uh, I'll be lucky if I could have invented 
the wheel. Okay, <laughs> I, I, no, no, no. I would have never invented the wheel, but I would have invented air conditioning. It might have been blocks of ice and fan prongs. Oh, there were so people way over. But I would have invented air conditioning because living in Arizona, wow. You need you need air conditioning in Arizona, but uh, you know not as bad in Michigan. Did uh, losing to Hoist Gracie was that something that motivated you as well? Um, kind of like uh, you know the nineteen eighty four uh, you know well, Olympic feel yeah, lit a not, fire underneath you. Not as not as much. I mean, it was you know I, again as I always tell people, and it's hard because some people yeah, I always, I've had a lot of backlash. So like, oh, dude, you know he he submitted you. I go really, really. Go back and watch watch the match. See if he really did submit me or something like that. I go, I know where I was at. I said, you. I've had other people try to do certain things to me. I said, well, granted, I'll tell you, I did tap. But did I tap because um, someone beat me? Or did I tap simply because I was unwilling to do what I had to do? Well, to me, it's like going, let's just do the best two out of three. I said, I'll, I'll give him that one. I'll give him that one. I, I, I had his manager on, I forget his name, you're fan. Um, but he talked for like 45 minutes. And I finally got to the point that I, I just cut him off. And I'm like, well, Mark, uh, I don't mean to be rude, but uh, simply just to summarize all this, this may, match ain't going to happen. Oh, Dan, that's not what I said. I, I, I know. You went off into all these elaborate tangents of how Mars and Venus and Jupiter have to all come <laughs> into alignment. Let's just cut the chase. It ain't going to happen because he and his family have too much to lose. I should have simply just done what I know I'm capable of doing. But if I ever do get this match, I shall justify it. And I want to treat him like a pile of kindling wood. Because that's what I should have done the first time. But because I was a nice guy, I didn't. So, you know, I'm still a nice guy, but... Because I had to keep listening to a lot of this bullshit. I go, you, you don't know me. You don't know my mindset. You don't know my skill set. I know what I'm capable of doing. And I'm capable of doing the incredible because I've, I have lived the life. Early on in my career, I did things. I, I, I set barriers at a young age, 70 years of age. I'm in my first Olympic trials as a senior in high school, stuff like that. And I'm out there beating the Olympic gold and silver medalists. And yet I'm being screwed on over by the referees because they're like, we can't have a 17-year-old kid beating our current Olympic gold and silver medalists out here right now. You know, but they did bring me into the Olympic training camp at 70 years of age. So I actually set some, I set some, uh, some, some goal, some, uh, I, I broke some barriers even at, at that age. But then uh, you know, I just, you know, my very first Hall of Fame, I was put into in 1984 at, wow. Ar at Arizona State. And I'm like, going, oh, don't they, don't they usually wait until you're done with your sport? I go, guys, I'm still competing. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I, I'm in that one. You know, but it's, I've set a lot of unique goals. I've done a lot of unique things. And I tell people, I'm not done yet. I have to jump to a whole lot more hoops. It's kind of like, I actually think there's merit to having the senior citizen MMA tour. <laughs> I think you could get a lot of comical sponsors on board right there for the for that stuff. Be kind of comical, maybe a few new sets of rules. But uh, is there a market for it? Yes. Would the matches live up to the hype? Oh, probably not. <laughs> you know, 
maybe slow down the channel or something like this or speed it on up might, might look a little bit better but no i i'm into again this is a like you say i'm into the twilight of my career or, or well on the other side of the mountain where i'm sliding on down but uh i still do occasional professionals matches i still probably do more than anything i just uh i do a lot of seminars again for all the different first responders but then uh for amateur wrestling will still be my my first love of which later today i'll get a chance to go do that and watch what they're doing and interject a little bit something here interject a little something there but then talk about the impossible is possible you mentioned uh in your career you, you haven't really done many camps but uh, by going into ufc5 you, you did but it was yeah. your own camp 32 days i took out 30 whole 32 days of my <laughs> life right there and, and again i just but I, I relocated myself from Coldwater, Michigan. I had to, I could not be at my training facility. I could not be a husband too. I couldn't be a father of, cause I, I just knew that I'm going to put all my eggs into this one basket for 32 days. I am going to train to become a no holds barred fighter. I stayed by myself. I ate by myself. There was no real interaction with other people. I mean, it basically, I, I, a very spartan existence of having just a crate with a black and white TV and a couple VHS tapes. That was the only thing I could watch. And it, it was only of the first two UFCs that, that I could get just to watch, to see, get this mindset. But then I kept writing, had a notepad. And I was putting these together types of uh, things, of techniques and strategies of, of what to do. Uh, but uh, a buddy of mine, he uh, was working at Grand Canyon uh, University. And he ended up introduced me to a gentleman that actually was putting together an actual uh, no holds barred program. Or where you know, if you wanted to be a gym owner or stuff like this, that you'd have you know an accounting class, you had to have you know different things like this. Well, he found out I, I was in town, and he actually got us up to where I was staying. I was staying because at first I was actually in just one of these little apartment units that you rent by the week. Mm. So now I am staying right on Grand Canyon University in your university's campus again by myself. With uh, the the crates of like that, and he goes, you don't want to, you don't want a couch of me. No, I don't need it. I go, I won't be entertaining anybody. I go because right now I'm I'm isolated, and uh, and he actually even lined up towards like uh, Mike. Well, I came in to see what his class looked like. Well, he's got like thirty some people in there. I go, well, do you care? Because they're going over different techniques of like that. Do you care if I just roll with them all? So like one after the other. So like for like an hour straight, I go for one person, next person, next person. But I would actually would just get the point that I would just lay down in different positions and just say that though, the moment that you touch, we go at that point. There. So, but they're, they're all just too, uh, nothing to deal with what's striking or like this, but it's all just doing it to quick, uh, submissions grab and stuff like that. So I just did that. And then he would line up, uh, it was really kind of wild. He ended up, he knew a number of like boxers and kickboxers. Mm. So a couple nights a week, he would line up this sparring night there for me to where on one side, uh, of the room, You'd have about 10 or 12 chairs. You'd have these 10 or 12 guys. And then there was just my one buddy and me. And I, I had my I had my water net with me. And I, I, I keep on going. Each time I kept getting the advantage of the person, he would he'd let them go one or two times or with me. Then he'd pull out, pull them out. Then he'd throw in the next fresh guy in, in on me. And then uh, to where it it helped me to learn how to avoid being kicked. Because even though I'm wearing headgear and I'm wearing mm -hmm. Uh, pads and stuff like this. You know, these guys are still zinging in. Yeah, in boxing, sure they wear headgear, but when that 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 glove hits that that headgear, it still hurts. Yeah. It it might it may not cut you, and the, the things of that nature. But that piece of jello called the brain that's being sloshed and sloshed and sloshed, you're still taking 
impact, stuff like that. And that's where I, I tried to avoid being struck because I, I wanted to know that when my career would come to an end, I didn't want to be sitting there being a babbling idiot, drooling down my chin. Uh, UFC 5 was a tournament, right? Yes, the eight-man tournament where you have to win three matches. Yes. And then you you, uh, you ended up being uh, victorious in that, and then uh, you went on and did some other things in the UFC as well. What was that like, fighting three matches in one night? I think as an amateur wrestler, it, it really prepares you quite well. And I, I, I kind of regaled you in a story there afterwards that, uh, and, and currently in, in the high school amateur wrestling and collegiate amateur wrestling, you are allowed to do a maximum of five matches in a day. So think, think about that. Now, that's over the course of a, a long day, usually at a tournament. Um, but you know, when I go back to my high school days and I was trying to get some kind of recognition, cause I, I already had a couple of college coaches that were already contacted, uh, contacted me. And I thought then, uh, well, by my junior year, how can I get the amateur wrestling world uh, buzzing that much more? So basically I entered my age group, which, which is junior 18 years and younger. And I went three weight classes, 198, 220 and heavyweight. Again, you, these are things you can't do today, but you could at that time. But then I did in the next age group up, which was called open anything above 18 years of age, three weight classes, 198, 220 heavyweight. So in one day I did two age groups, six weight classes, 17 matches oh later, God. I walked out of that gymnasium with six gold medals. And the hard part about that was most high school wrestling mats, uh, only have uh, most high school wrestling gyms only have enough room to put down three wrestling mats, so I could be on mat number one, and they could call me on deck on mat number two, and in the hole on mat number three. And the moment that my match would come on up, they would announce, Dan Severn, please report to mat number two. I might be on mat number one, still wrestling. But they make this announcement, and as soon as they say, please report to mat number two, the stopwatch starts. You have five minutes to report, and if you don't make it in five minutes, automatic disqualification. So I literally would be finishing off one opponent on mat number one, wiping down, grabbing a quick sip of water as I walk to mat number two, knowing that in another 10 minutes or less, I'm going to be on mat number three over there. So I was a machine at that point. I'm used to doing multiple matches, but I said that, you know, by that day I had all of the college coaches talking. So it was, it was cool by my senior year to know that you're the number one recruit in the country and you can go to any university. You got the academics to go along there with it. But then I even had a congressional nomination, so I could have gone to the Air Force Academy on top mm. of that. So, you know, it sounds like uh, you made a lot of sacrifices, like you mentioned earlier. But when you were younger, did you even really know that you were sac like that it was a sacrifice? Because it seemed like you were just maybe drawn to this, or or uh, wrestling was kind of like almost like a calling for you of some sorts. Well, I'll say that in the beginning, because it fit into the school system. You know, you're riding the school bus, things of that nature. That was good. As time started to progress a little bit longer, like during the summertime, now these turn into family vacations. If your family vacation is, well, we're driving out to, you know, uh, Iowa here right now for the uh, uh, National Wrestling Freestyle and Greco-Roman Championships, mm -hmm. and you realize that a family eight doesn't fit into the, you know, station wagon and all that, uh, that well, and when you got, uh, you got, uh, you know, because I have a total of uh, four other brothers, mm. so there's five of us that uh, we, you know, we were wrestling at one, at some point in time or another. So, and then there's my, my three sisters on top of that. So you got eight, uh, you got uh, eight kids, two parents, you got 10 people. How are they going to fit into a station wagon? So again, you have to, it was very comical how we had to travel 
And they weren't like all right then and there uh, at once because as my older brother and I, you know, there, there's a, there's a big age difference between the oldest to the to the youngest, to where uh, you know, in a lot of ways, my uh, the, the youngest two or three siblings really don't know the older ones because by the time they were old enough to go into kindergarten, my older brother and I were gone. Mm. So do they really know us? No, we're like a stranger <laughs> to them, but we're or their brother in, right. in a sense. So again, it's just, it's just the way that, that, that things, that, that things were, but it was very comical in, in the essence of uh, traveling together. And, and these are the things that she had to do. Seemed like wrestling really, uh, saved you in a lot of ways because, you know, MMA is, uh, such a brutal sport, you know, but you still got your, you still got your mind. You still are, are sharp. And, um, do, did you suffer some, some injuries from, MMA that, that still are kind of around like something to your shoulder or your neck or anything like that? No, not really. Not in, not in mixed martial arts or the no hose barred era. It, uh, you know, Mark, what, when I walked to that arena, I simply knew that I was going to walk in there without being very lopsided in skills. I, I started an amateur wrestling career in 1969. I started a cage fighting career in 1994. The scale was <laughs> never going to balance out. I could have stopped wrestling and the scale was never going to balance out. And I, I looked upon it, you know, even the UFC, it, it shows like the tail of the tape, it shows an age, but it's wrong. UFC just, they never had my age quick. Like I said, I, I was, I was 37 when I first began mm. my career and they got me down sometimes to 35, stuff like this. And then, then the, I started telling them I was even older yet, uh, just to, <laughs> to get a rise out of them and stuff of that nature. Cause it was just, just kind of comical. Cause I, you know, I, I never, I never looked at the age and I was simply, am I capable of doing? Mm. And I've had some u- very unique matches. I mean, when you think about UFC uh, number, um, what was the number? Uh, Ron Van Cleek, I think was number four. I think he was involved in that. Well, I happened to sit next to, uh, Ron Van Cleef. Yeah. He was like 50, wasn't he? Yeah. I th- yep. And, uh, you know, I really, I really enjoyed the speaking to him and stuff like that. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I hope it's me that draw, that draws Ron. Not because I want to compete against him. I, I go because in my mindset, I think that I'm going to be the nicest person to him, mm. which goes to a. I, I was involved in a very interesting bout. It turned out to be the oldest ever no holds barred match in history. Mm. And I'm going up uh, against a gentleman that at the time he is 63 years of age. And I'm probably, um, I don't know, either late forties or early fifties at the time. And the promoter called me on three different occasions and he's like going, you know, Dan, he goes, uh, you know, this guy really wants to fight stuff like this. And I, and I turned it down and, and finally it's kind of like going, well, 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 why? I go, I said, this guy's, he's great. I've been on a car before. He's a great guy. I love this guy to death. I don't want to do a match mm-hmm. against him. So now the opponent himself, he calls me up. He goes, you know, Dan, before I retire, he goes, I would really like to do a match with someone like you. He goes, I really respect what you do and stuff like that. And I'm like, I mean, literally, by the time I'm hanging up the phone, I I, I realized I just agreed to do a match <laughs> with him. And I'm thinking, hey, listen, you old geezer, I'm going to pound your <laughs> face. No, right? no, but but this it's a no it's a no win situation. Right. If I beat him, whoop de doo da, you beat a 63 year old guy. But if you lose to him, you just lost to a 63 year old guy. <laughs> so it's a no win situation. So here it is. 
day of, uh, of the fight. I mean, and, and, and he's ripped and shred. He's looking really good to fight this. And when the, the fighter, uh, when referee says, no, let's go. I mean, he's throwing all pistons off and stuff like this. And I'm like, what's what, what? I just, I clinch him real quick. So I, I I'm holding on, I'm holding his face. He's trying to wiggle around, but I've got him and I'm thinking, okay, what, what to do next? I go, no, I, I would sweep the legs up like this. And as I'm dropping him down, I would become airborne because when, the, when we make impact, I want to land on the rib cage because I'm, I'm either going to break ribs, crack ribs, or knock the wind right on them because as they lay on their back and they're going, <laughs> they can't get that breath. You'd be surprised how easy it is to take other positions onto them real quickly. I mean, I, I did things in a very authoritative mindset type of way. Least amount of work, maximum results because I had no, I didn't have a training camp. I simply knew that whatever mm-hmm. I do, I had to expend the least amount of energy mm-hmm. possible. So we, I, I sweep, boom, as I drop them on down, I did like a professional scene. You know, one of these, what, they, what they know as a splash. I land on my knees. I land on my elbows. He didn't take no impact whatsoever. Boom, he's down on the ground. I'm holding on down, and he's wiggling all around there underneath me at this point in time. I'm thinking, how do I finish this match off here real quick? Oh, got it. So I raise my hand up like I'm about to drop this big old hammer strike to face. As I, as I slam on down, I stop just before, and he throws a hand up to block it. I pull his arm across, simple little scarf hold, taps on me, a little <laughs> choke. We both stand up. He looks at me and goes, that was the nicest beating I have ever taken. <laughs> <laughs> I go, oh, yeah. I didn't want to do the match. You know, it just like, you know, we go out to dinner, stuff like this. It was, you know, like I said, it just, these are some of the people that I've met. Even like uh, in that match, to see those belly back suplexes. That's Anthony Macias. I, I, you know, Anthony and I, are, we're friends now. He, he will post things every now and then in his Facebook, because he's real, real, really proud of his son in his amateur wrestling career. And then I'll make a couple of notes there. Of, have, have your son do this. Have your son do that. It'll help in his position. Stuff like that. And he's just like, it's so cool that I'm giving him coaching tips for his son. Stuff. And these are all legitimate tips that uh, I guarantee you most high school coaches are not aware of. But I'm just, I want to see him succeed. It's uh, still an area of controversy. I went down and, and saw the uh, UFC fight that went, went on in um, Los Angeles and Bones Jones returned and stuff. And you got a lot of guys that, you know, test positive and they, they get banned and fined and whatever, and they come in and out. And what are some of your thoughts on some of this? I mean, some of these guys are, are using performance enhancing drugs. It's, it's quite obvious in some cases and in other cases, you got guys like Anderson Silva who've been popped where you can't really tell, you know, he's like <laughs> six, one or six, two, and he's like 200 pounds. It doesn't really look yeah, like well, much. Well, even, even Hoist Gracie has popped for it before that. I go, so we popped for it. Must not be used the very good stuff. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But right. no, that I don't mean to be, be, be critical like that. No, there's, it, it, well, it's like bodybuilding. There's a pro division bodybuilding, and then there's the amateur division of bodybuilding. And when you look at the bodybuilders and amateur, and you look at the guys at the pro level, Wow, world of difference of the sheer amount of muscle mass these guys are carrying. Pro division, they're using all the good stuff at that point in time, but it's their career, and they're hoping to get these certain types of endorsements. There's not a lot of money there, though. I mean, only for, you, you think? For prof- a few, yeah. Yeah, I can say, it's just like professional wrestling. There's only a few people that are going to make any real money mm-hmm. in, in that industry. And, uh, so, I mean, you really have to stand out to me. It's just, uh, you, you know, to have, you know, 60 some odd inch chest and have, you know, 20 some odd inch, uh, bicep and stuff like that. You know, that's not normal by any means, but, uh, you know, 
it's I, I don't. What was the actual original question? I went up uh, and just kind of some of your thoughts on it. You know, you got. Uh, like, I was uh, going up for the storyland right now. Yeah. Really, I haven't been hit the hard head. Okay. <laughs> uh, you got guys like Bones Jones who oh. you know come back and then they win another. You know, win yeah. the belt again, and it's you know I. I think there should be a pro level that let let go ahead and let's use all of the good stuff that you want to, and then let they'll have the other that that this this it is discerning and what they do. It's. Because like pride fighting, I don't, I don't think they had. Oh, I think it was just you know, there had pride, no rules. There, right? there was no testing there whatsoever. Right. It's literally right. that's where you saw soccer kicks to the face, so it went <laughs> a down opponent stuff like this. It was uh, that that actually was a crazy, crazy, but only in only in Japan where we have Godzilla versus Mothra can you have right, that kind right. of action? You know, but uh, it have the rule set to where. Everyone plays by the same rules. You, you have to have something like that. I, I pride myself in the fact that I'm lifetime chemical free. So you think these guys should just be out? Like if they get if they test well, positive, I mean, you get kind of well. One they're, and they're, done, they're, there's there's kind of well. I mean, again, I'm, I'm a big uh, believer in the theory of threes. I mean, there's there there are certain things like, for example, you know, being involved in amateur wrestling. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of rules that the Olympic Committee follows by, and yet they, you have to watch out that even there's certain antihistamines. Right. That will test you positive. And you're thinking, gosh, I just have a stuffy nose. I just try to get so I can breathe out there and you know, get popped. So some of it, it, it could be they're not looking for to be a big monster or something like this. I mean, I know guys that have done coke and stuff like this yeah. to go out there and, and do things. So it's like going, well, you know, is that going to give you advantage? Well, heck yeah. I had some other guy there ask me the other day. He's like, Dan, I've tried all these different kind of diets. He goes, nothing seems to really work. What, what should I do? I go, well, I go. Coke is a pretty good diet, but uh, it's a very expensive diet. There doesn't work. I said almost everyone I see out of it, they're they're skinny as a, skinny as a rail, but now they have itchy habits and they do other stuff right there. They're legitimate, but uh, you know it's a great diet. <laughs> Get the results. Just don't know if uh, if you can afford the habit here now. And I'm gonna just say that because even what's gonna work for you may not work for me because body type differences and stuff right. like that. You know, age factors, all this stuff kind of goes into play as to. What you have to do? I mean, I'm I'm the aging athlete now, so I have to listen to my body more and more. To where some days it's like going, "Hey, we're good to go." There's other days they're like, "Oh no, 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 I don't think so today." Would you like to show your skill set against uh, people, regardless of what they do, or would you rather have them play in the same rules uh, that you do? I, I guess I'd elaborate. Uh, so, like, if if a fighter were to come out and say, "Like, yes, I am tested," and I am testing positive for X and Y oh, and Z and versus this other fighter who's like, no, I'm 100% clean, but let's do this fight anyways. Yeah. No, I, well, for example, I, um, in my final couple of years, I was trying to get uh, one more match between, you know, the Mark Colwood, the, the, the Ken Shadrach, the Hoist Gracie. Well, uh, Ken Shadrach was one of the matches that did come up and, uh, and it was run by this uh, company known as a uh, UR network. And they weren't, they weren't, they were not an MMA company whatsoever. They're just like a social media presence, but they, they were trying to gain, they wanted to do this very unique, uh, fighting type event there toward, they were going to have a, a grappling match, a boxing match, a MMA match. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, uh, they basically, they had first contacted Ken and they threw me out as one of the other viable candidates. They said, sure. And so this was all set up ahead of time. And I know that this is something that is not going to be tested. And I'm going, but I want it. I want this match no matter what, but I'm, I'm, but I want to have testing on the day of, not that he'll be disqualified, but I want people to know that I fought a man 
who tested positive for third or fourth time here now, but I'm still going to see the match through because I don't think it's going to help him because I have, you know, it's going to be the third match. It's going to be the rubber match. And I, I actually did, I did my third and what should, it should have been my final training camp. So I took out 32 days for my first one. I took out 35 days for my second one. I took out three and a half months. I was down to, I mean, literally, I get the phone call on Friday that, you know, Tank Abbott's out. Because, I mean, through the series that, you know, Ken backed out nine days before. They're doing a mad dash trying to find somebody else. And they said, Tank Abbott. And I go, you better contact them quickly. And uh, I really didn't even want that match because I already done that one before. And so, but he uh, did not clear the medical aspect. And so this all happens on a Friday and the show was on a Sunday. And like, well, then you're off the, off the card. I go, well, the hell I am. <laughs> I said, I will be at Wayne's. I said, I have, I have busted my ass. I go, knowing that this was possibly going to be the last time that they were ever going to see Dan Severn. They're going to see the best Dan Severn I could pa- possibly mustered up. And I go, I had almost a four-month training camp. I stepped on the scales and I stepped on the scales at 236. I haven't seen 236 pounds in the last two decades. <laughs> I was always about 250 to 275 pound range most of the time. And I was hiking <laughs> up my trunks half the time trying to hide my, my love handles. I actually had abs, plural, instead of a smooth ab, you know. <laughs> so I, I, I trained hard for this. And I was, I go, I want to step on the scales and let the people see I was here. I prepared the best ever I could. And that was going to be done at what, 58 years of age is what that match should take place. And it did not happen. So now I have to simply just uh, walk away from the industry, knowing that I'll still help people in that industry. Cause there's still a skill set that is not being utilized. There's a lot of wrestlers, amateur wrestlers that there's, they're, they think that they, their only ability to uh, be able to show their skill set is by striking and things of that nature. And they're not using the, the grappling. They, they don't know how to make the grappling exciting. And, but there's a lot of things that you can do if you bring people aware of it. Because a lot of people did not realize in that clinch all the little evil things that I was doing to my opponent there. One day when, they, when the video games advanced far enough to where you could, stay, you could sit in the comfort or stand in the comfort of your living room and you've got UFC, UFC, uh, whatever, uh, 1,052 uh, <laughs> event here taking place. But now you have this this interactive fight game where you've got these little circular electronic patches that you can place on your body. You, can, you, you have that little that little diagram that says place this one here, this one there, the whole nine yards. And so that now you're standing out there in your your Dan uh, your your, your Dan Sandy Severs little little panty uh, fight fight gears up like this in your fight. All of a sudden, the guy throws a roundhouse kick, and all of a sudden, it fires off these three these three electrodes, and you feel your whole body go like this, like what was that? That whoosh whoosh, because it's like it's firing off your muscles that it's making it contract. And then you have some you know four hundred fifty pound dude who's eating pork rinds and drinking his his beers up like this, you know grabs his chest and falls over and dies in his <laughs> living room there. Then you'll see the, the lawsuit from that same, uh, that same way. Going, dude, you, you killed me. Yeah, no, you killed yourself there, but, but it's what you did. <laughs> that game sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you, but you have those games already, the interactive type things where you could, you know, you got these virtual glasses, yeah. but eventually it's going to be more than that. Yeah. Know? I've been to movies before where they actually have, they have mist and stuff like this come out. So it's, 
it, it'll, it'll come. Yeah. But I think you, you'll have that in, in these games or somehow you're going to be feeling certain percussions of that nature. Yeah. Have you seen any royalties from being in the UFC games? Uh, No. No. At, at the time that I did that, I basically had to more or less sign my life away in yeah. order just to be inside of that. Yeah, so I'll just say that uh, you know I I have a way more once my you know, contracts expires of it. Mm-hmm. I have way more control over my life now than I have ever oh, had. Good, yeah. And uh, you touched on it earlier. Uh, you said you got paid a thousand dollars. No, fight. That, that, okay. <laughs> no, that was my bare bones. Minimum, oh, okay, my minimum guarantee. That's the the downsize. The upsize was. Fifty thousand dollars. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I know today it's it's something still crazy. It's still under like ten thousand dollars for like the very bare minimum. Yeah. Um, but what do you think about how the UFC? You know, they have hundreds of fighters. They make tons of money, but yet only the top like I think three percent are making enough to really make a life out of it. I think you'd be a generous there at that three percent. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, I am being generous. It's more like one percent, but I don't know the actual numbers. So. Typically, it's just the main event that's making the the real money because yeah. now these athletes are making a certain percentage off of the pay per view, so they understand that if they can stir the pot do some of this smack talking and stuff like this, somehow they get, uh, you know, uh, to, to stir the fans to want to tune in, to have a reason to care. And that's where a lot of MMA guys should study professional wrestling because you are a, you are a character. And that's where, bottom line, you are a character when you, uh, whether they, they show training clips of you or whether they show you, you know, at home doing whatever, or as you're walking on out there, I knew this coming in. I'm nothing but but a character. I I was doing my professional wrestling already. I already knew what I was going to wear when I walked out there. I knew what I was going to do if I won. I knew what I was going to do if I lost. I'm not a smack talker. I'm not going to do this. Uh, Probably the picture that... uh, I'm best known for is having this crazy look on my face with my arms raised after victory stuff. But the where that came from was my very first match there where I'm I'm going against Oleg Tektarov and I'm dropping these knees on his forehead stuff like this. I mean, I, you know, I stopped three times of course this match. They finally get stopped and, and then as I stand on up, I got blood all over my arms and splashed up on my face and my chest, stuff like this. And the crowd is going just freaking nuts the way they're screaming and hollering stuff like this. And I'm like, you people came out here to see blood. Well, I got you. Got it. And as I'm up mm-hmm. like this, boom, that's when the pictures got taken place. And people, they could, I'm rejoicing. I'm like, no, I was actually kind of pissed. <laughs> there yeah, go. there you go. Yeah, there you go. There I, can, I can get that same look again if I stub my toe, though. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, how long would it take you to get in shape now for a uh, MMA fight? If you were to do one, well, I, I mean, I mean, honestly, do you have decent I conditioning mean, now, still, or no? Oh no, 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 no. It's uh, yeah, no. You just have it, yeah. No, but I'm, I'm, but I'm a bonehead. <laughs> so, so to me, it's like I say that I, I have no conditioning, but oh, I'll still will myself upon. It. I mean, there's, I, I hate to say this, but I, I actually was, well, I thought of this idea a couple of years back, but uh, there are, there, there's a lot of MMA companies across the United States. Uh, most that that uh, you know people will never know about. Yeah, smaller it's, it's, leagues and yeah, stuff. Just yeah, just the local regional type mm-hmm. of event right there. Uh, I actually thought about doing uh, fifty-two matches in one mm-hmm. year. 
and I was going to call it the turd tour because <laughs> I was going to expose all these guys. It's Beat a, the crap out of all the bums. Well, <laughs> yeah, that turd tour could represent a lot of different things right there. But, but you know, it just, yeah, there's just a lot of guys that, that I, I tell people that, you know, the mixed martial arts, the no holes bar, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, I've got my own MMA company called Danger Zone, I called it, because I want people to realize that this is not for the faint of heart. You know, and I, I formed that during the, the no holes part era where again, just, just the two rules of nobody, no eye gouging, no weight classes. And, uh, and I just wanted people to realize that, you know, don't walk in there thinking this is professional wrestling or mm. things of nature. Now, again, you know, when you fast forward, yeah, th there is, there is a place for that to become that character. You know, Conor McGregor probably yeah. understood it the best. Uh, and he did not realize this. I mean, if you want to go back, if you look at the, his very first promos he cut, he was so happy just to be in the UFC. He was so happy to just have won his match. 50 G's, Dana, you know, you know, you owe me stuff like that. He was so happy to be off Ireland's version of welfare. The guy owns two mansions now, one in Ireland, one in, in uh, California or someplace, you know. He's, he's driving around in, in a nice, big, elaborate vehicle, stuff like this. Boy, in a couple of years, ties a change. I hope he's hope he's being a little bit charitable somewhere along the mm -hmm. way with that, and be, be thankful for the, some of the things he does have. Because, uh, you know, I like to I like to see when when people who deserve to have success, because these are not greedy. I always tell people that, you know, if, if I was a multi-millionaire, would that really change Dan's everything? No. I might drive a little bit nicer vehicle, but I gotta say, Dan Severn has never owned a new vehicle yet. Only new to me. Right. Okay. But that's just the way I am. Uh, I got different buddies that are like, going, Dan, you're, you're, you're a little on the, the frugal side. I go, um, almost to the point that, that they say, Dan, you're, they use that C word. I have a hard, oh, don't watch, watch, <laughs> watch, watch, watch. I just, uh, and they're like, I, I say, I go, I go, I said, don't ever say that word. I said, I said, I've had to watch out for my own welfare being i go and i go even for my for my children and stuff like this again my kids don't know what i had to sacrifice along the way and doing all these two and three paydays all in the same 24 hours things that nature what i've sacrificed but it's kind of like going but upon high school graduation they will have a good used vehicle is that but upon them being born i open up a uh, a an account for them so that when they're ready upon high school graduation, I will turn over however good the, the markets have been. So if I disagree, it'll, it'll range between fifteen and $20,000. Hmm. Good use vehicle and fifteen to $20,000 is your start in life. There you go. Spend it and you, or use it wisely. <laughs> uh, I, I learned though really quick uh, over time that uh, you don't turn over that kind of money to an 18 year old because they, <laughs> they don't understand how long you have to work. Right. In order to save up that kind of money or having, having the due diligence to just save that kind of money. Cause I have buddies that are my age. They still don't understand how to save two bucks. You know, they're what always, you, what are you most proud of in your career? Oh, and I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I'll call it moments in time. There's just different things uh, to my career, just in life in general. And, uh, I mean, it's, you know, just to have done certain things that are young to have success early in life witness success success late in life to be you know, if i'm talking about just the athletic aspect alone to know that i've had a 40 plus year career i mean it's closing on 50 years of 
competition, terrorizing athletes for 50 years. How many people can say that and say, lifetime chemical free? Then you start adding up. It's like, oh, yeah, start amateurizing here. Most most people, they again, they only know the MMA. They only know the professional wrestling side. But there's Dan Seven, the wrestler, who was a three-time high school All-American, a two-time state champion. I set and held eight national records simultaneously, which is a national record still held to this date. And I did that back in 1976. You know, so I've done a lot of fun on with things. It's just a sport of wrestling to where even, you know, fast forward to today, do the calculations on up. I have just over 100 state, national, and or international titles and or records to my credit. Find another human being, alive or deceased, that can make my claims and all that being lifetime chemical free. And I'm not saying it'd be braggosia. I'm saying that I'm like throwing, dropping down the mic. Find someone that can do that. They, they, there's a lot of athletes they've had a good run for a short period of time. I mean, but I defied odds early on and then late in my life. Or people are like going, well, what's next for Dan Severn? I go, I'm not sure yet. But mm-hmm. I rest assured, I'm not done. I'm not going to be sitting in any rocket chair anytime soon and uh, letting life pass me by. I'm still going to be engaged in the game. I've been thinking about starting my submission grappling career. The bad part is I have to already start to give up 20 plus years of age. I'm like going, come on, guys. <laughs> you know, isn't there another senior citizen that's just as wacky as what I am here right now? <laughs> Anything else, Andrew? How cool was it to see the uh, UFC on ESPN? I mean, it's the sheer inevitability. As, you know, when it first began back in the the dark days, the pioneer days, the spectacle days, um, a lot of people say, did you ever think that it would grow to the magnitude? I go, yes. (laughs) I said, the only reason I know that is because I had, two VHS tapes and I had a couple of my buddies that were, they were running a quick air and they swung by my place to pick something up. And I wanted to do this test. So just before they got there, I shoved the VHS tape in. So I'm sitting on, I'm sitting on the couch and, uh, they're coming, they're like, Dan, Dan, I need to get, and I'm like, well, yeah, just come on for a second. Just come on over here. I go, I said, I'll get it for you. Just a second. I'm going, I'm trying to watch this match real quick. They come on in and they're standing there and, and they're watching it. They're starting to watch they were only supposed to be there for like one minute just to grab whatever and go. Two hours later, they're sitting on my couch screaming out. I'm not even on the couch. Anymore. I'm watching these two guys yelling and screaming at, at the TV set here right now because they just got so, I go, wow, look what this is doing to That's a couple a of my deal. buds here yeah. right now. I'm thinking it had everyone, uh, well, most people enjoy watching a spectacle of violence. They, they and all, but there's also this certain element of, of possible to witness death in the process. Why does everyone slow down when they see an accident? They don't have to. If they're over a couple of lanes, they just yeah. Or playing. you could be at a professional football game and there's a fight in the stands. Oh. And everybody watches that, and there's these guys are paid millions of dollars to. Exactly. They're professional football players, but well, they want to see these two amateurs who are drunk. Yeah. Swing well, at each other. Way, you could be at an MMA show and see the same fight. Absolutely. And more people are watching this up on the stand than are watching what they paid, you know, a couple hundred dollars for a ticket for it. So it's, yeah, because the unknown could happen. Yes. So, I mean, th- there is something about this physical violence. I mean, that's what, why football, I mean, it, it, it's control, but again, it's physical violence that you're watching out there boxing, kickboxing, you know, the the UFC, I, 
if if you could run the same platform today, because there are so many more um, social media outlets there for it, I, I think it would be even that much more stronger. Mm. You know, um, bare knuckle boxing is starting to come make bring a comeback. Yeah. So again, people are drawn to this because they're like, wow, two men bare knuckles here right now. Although there's there's sort of anticlimactic matches, they don't last real long. Um, right. It's because they don't take too many shots before someone's done when bare knuckle type of boxing. So again, it's there is an attraction to it, and I knew that if if, if it could if if it, if it could survive the legislators and the politicians, mm. uh, there's been four different ownerships of the UFC. I've been very fortunate to work for all four ownerships. The guy who owned it during the worst time was Bob Meyerowitz so the Semaphore Entertainment Group. That's when Senator John McCain was rallying a lot of the politicians, legisla- uh, legislators, to do away with this this barbaric human yeah. cockfighting event that's taking place. And that's when they started to implement a little bit more rules yes. and weight classes yeah. and things. The, like uh, which I think is good. No, it, it did. Gotta uh, be something. Gotta be something. As it was progressing, when, you know, like today it's the unified rules, but they didn't to be announced unified rules and like a light switch. It changed overnight all across the United States. I could be up in, yeah, you know, up, up in Wyoming or something like that. And I'll be in a cage match up like this, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this technique. So I, I, I actually, as I'm holding my opponent down on the cage against the cage or something like that, I'm like, hey, Raph, am I allowed to? I'm tipping my hat <laughs> to my opponent, what I'm about to do to him, but I'm not doing any illegal moves or techniques to him there as well. Because they're like I said, they're like the, I would even, it was kind of funny because as I got to know John McCarthy more and more, as new rules were being added, he would come to me and goes, okay, Severn, how do you beat this rule? <laughs> and uh, i like, well, it's easy, John. You just do this. And he looks at me and goes, who thinks that way? I go, John, I'm not a fighter. I'm a competitor. You're going to give me rules? I'm going to show you how to use those rules to benefit. Just like we showed a little bit earlier. That clinch. Mm-hmm. Rule says I can't strike you with my fist to the throat. But I can pop that shoulder just out the door. It'll pop it to her. It will, you'll, you'll start to choke. You may not be able to breathe properly. But if I pop it here and then draw a jacket, where now you, you and now I do that, I do add that to the infraction, but now you bite your tongue, you bite the side of your mouth, your, your eyes start to water out and up, so like this. Your, your mind's not thinking about the fight, you're thinking about that instant pain that I just put you into, or a quick stomp on the foot. You could do that, break a guy's foot with a good stomp on the arch or something like this. But then there's lots of these same, same, same things that I've now incorporated into. I do stuff with, with also with females. I do a female self-defense class, but then also a, a, a rape defense class. One class is all on your feet, and one class is all down on the ground. So, so I've used all these different skill sets to where it keeps Dan Severn rather busy, you know, traveling around to where it's like, you know, I, I got other guys that are like uh, from the MMA uh, category that they're like, dude, how, how do you stay out there? How do you come up with this? How do you come down? I go, I go, I use my mind. I said, your, your athletic career is only going to be so long. I wouldn't be here sharing time with you guys here today just to talk about things because just here to talk and to share, you you guys will, will have a different thought of dance. And Dan Severn wasn't just a brute beast inside this cage. The guy actually is methodical. He's thinking. And I, I was always thinking of what's next because your, your, your athletic career, I don't <clears> care what sport you're in, will always be just small compare, in comparison of 
what your life is all about. I think Apollo Creed said it best. He said, be a thinker, not a stinker. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Although there were spent different times where I thought that as a professional wrestler, something like this, the greatest gimmick of all is being known like the human onion or something like this. Where you, <laughs> me, you, 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 your pregame meal is, I'm eating garlic and onions. It's and, all and, stuff and, that and make you gassy. Fan, fan camps, pork and beans, stuff like this. It's kind of like when the fishing movie is like, here, pull my finger. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. I mean, but... And that, that character is something I thought of almost 20 years ago. Uh-oh. Rectal Fury. <laughs> could, be, could be making a comeback. <laughs> See, you, know, you, you like that though, don't you? That's yeah, great. Like, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you, you see all these, they've got these foam fingers for all football where it's like, you know, we're number one. I just want to grab that same thing. Get back that character life and it says, pull my finger. <laughs> same, same, same foam hand. The merchandising rights, come on, alone, are, are great. It's selling itself. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're going to see that that character probably file somewhere in the next year. For sure. Yeah. Um, where if can you heard it here first, folks? <laughs> yeah. there, from dead to be served of all people. Where can people find uh, find out more information about you? More information about uh, where you train people and stuff like that. The seminars, stuff. Like the that. best place is just the website at danseverin.com. I mean, they go there. There's uh, all the different social media outlets uh, that I have, you know, the Facebook pages and, and th other social media outlets. So that's probably the best way of contacting me. Uh, that website is under construction right now. Uh, I mean, there is information that's there, but I'm having uh, my website revamped and it's going to be brought into the 21st century here now. So uh, thank goodness for all the people uh, that, <laughs> that, that, that have these skill sets because, you know, if it's up to me, no, I'd still have probably the, the tin can and the string and have to like, I can't hear you. I got to pull the string a little <laughs> tighter here right now. Yeah. No, I like uh, that you're uh, doing seminars and I like that you're sharing a lot of information with people and, uh, I'd like to see you on more podcasts cause I think more people need to hear from you. So thank you so much. For, I really appreciate your time. It's such an honor to have you in here today. Well, I, I've looked up to you for a long time. So well, Mark, thank you so much. It's just good. Just, just being here and just better share your story a little bit more because there's so many people that. They're like, oh, geez, I, I could never be like this guy. And I'm thinking, well, no, I, I never thought I'd be like this guy here either. But I just, you know, to me, even with the kids, when I run these kid classes, I can't do this. I can't do this. I go, don't say I can't. Simply say, I'll try. That nothing, there's nothing wrong with trying. I, if I, I go, Has, have I been successful in everything? No. But it's kind of like going, know that you at least tried and put forth effort. One of the hardest things I ever did was, I mean, I wrestled camp right now, and I just couldn't get, get I couldn't get to this camp, uh, this kid at all there I, I approached all the different approaches i've tried before nothing was working and out of blue i think myself do you play video games he's like oh <laughs> i mean his, oh i love video games and i'm like well like, well how how good were you at those video games when you first started uh playing them oh terrible i kept getting beaten stuff like this well how did you get better oh i kept playing it again and again and again oh you mean like drilling and trying to do it again and again. And I, I got to him by using a video game. And as I'm walking away, I'm almost like kicking myself that I had to use a video game right. as an example. But, you know, it's it's a new generation and you have to look at, you have to kind of think outside the box at times because, you know, one thing to be in, uh, 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 talking about sacrifice, but I think we're, we're rather isolated society because of all these electronics a lot of people don't have to have don't have to interact with people at all. I can order my groceries online and they'll be delivered. <laughs> and all it is a credit card or whatever type of electronic transaction. I don't have to leave my home at all. I can work from my home office and stuff like that and and put out this. So less and less people you're gonna really see if you you're gonna see less and less of bricks and mortar of training. 
more and more people are training people online training things of that nature so it's it's really interesting how the electronic era is really advancing and uh taking over to where a lot of people just don't have those social skills anymore yeah and in, in trying to communicate and in trying to get to somebody sometimes you have to you have to kind of go back in time and so for you you might have to think about like things that were hard for you when you were a kid or things that you didn't want to do. I mean, maybe when you were like six or seven, maybe you cried because your dad was making you do something that you right. really, you you wanted to play with your buddies and you couldn't go over to their house or whatever. And it's like, I think it's easy for us to, as adults to think that we're like this badass person. We forget we were really sensitive and we really struggled with a lot of these things too. And it's kind of that conversation of you talk to like a seven year old kid and you say, Hey, you know what? You got, you got to clean up your room. And they, they say something, they mumble something. Well, then you get down, you know, you get down close to them. You come down on their level, literally come yeah. down, get on one knee and say, son, I, I need you to clean your room. This is, right. this is what we do. And you, you speak to them that way. And hopefully they, you get a better response. But normally when you kind of go down to where someone is at that point and you kind of have perspective on where they're at in their life at mm -hmm. that moment, then you can bring them back up. But if you're trying to be like, hey, just come with me, it's kind of hard for yeah, them to understand no, no, that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I told, like, that's too hard. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want yeah. to come with you, Dan Severn, and travel for 37 hours on the road. I'm, yeah. I'm going to get my butt kicked. Well, funny, on that same aspect right there, just recently, a gentleman, he, he, he interacted with me through Facebook. He goes, uh, he, I forget what, what he put, he started off with there. He goes, he goes, but I try to use the analogy. He goes, what would Jesus do? He goes, I can't really relate to this. What would Jesus do? He says, he says, well, I've never really met Jesus. He says, <laughs> I have actually seen Dan Severn. And, I, and now I go to what would Dan Severn do? Because, because he said, you've had an extraordinary career in doing this, this, this. He goes, he go, and then I, I it, it was such a comical thing. They sent me that I responded back to him. And, uh, and he's like, I'm really shocked that you responded back to me. I go, I go, really, any, anyone that actually does reach out to me, I'll get back to them eventually but the key word there is eventually because sometimes if, if i'm on the road for like you know right. next four or five days it piles up and it will take me several days maybe a week or so to try to window that pile down and there's certain things that i haven't gotten back to that i still owe people responses from oh well over a year plus <laughs> ago so but they'll get i'll get to them eventually but it's uh they really got a kick out of the fact that i responded back to them and just so that, that, no, I have my off, off days just like anybody else does. And I said, but for most part, I win more days than I lose days. So that's, that's all it boils down to. Strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Catch you guys later.